Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited Podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to a bonus episode where we'll be revisiting the film Never Say Never Again. Isn't it just so nice how, like, we take that break, you know, we do the whole list, have a bit of a hiatus, and then come back with a film that's Never Say Never Again. That's all about how Sean Connery took a break and then came back for one more. It's like, it just fits in so nicely for doing a podcast like this. Wait, we're doing Never Say Never Again? Yeah, yeah, right? You, that's the one you watched. Oh, I'm going. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you did say never the last time. <laughs> I do remember oh. you being very adamant at the end of that last episode. No more. I'm done. Mm-hmm. No amount of money will bring you back. <sighs> okay, it's true. I, I watched it. I watched it. I was a liar. I got pulled back in. For um, one last but, assignment. But you're right. There is some nice um, symmetry there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. If only we were paid the $9 million or whatever he was paid back <laughs> then. Or, I don't know. That would have made it a bit uh, easier to swallow. Yeah, probably, for sure. But yeah, very strange, this one. So, you know, some people, when they do these sort of revisits, they include it. Some people don't. We decided not to, which to me feels about right. And I think re-watching it again i'm pretty happy with that decision it's clearly just like not the same type of beast as the other ones it is clearly very separate um so i guess i can give a little bit of history for people right this is never say never again so kevin mcclory i believe his name is he helped co-write the book fundable and when they when ian fleming published it he didn't credit him he sued he won so now he got credit but because he got credit it meant that he also was credited for when they made the film fundable but as part of like the the agreement they had they were like kevin mcclory kept the rights to like specter and the book fundable but nothing else but then was told like you can only make your own version in like 10 years time. And it, it was, it's just such a complete mess. I, I'll, I'll kind of leave it as that. That is basically somebody who helped co-wrote the book Fundable meant that he got to keep the rights to that book to a certain extent, which meant he then came along later and, and made a, a new version of his own. It's all very confusing and messy. Like this lasted decades. <laughs> like... actual decades but the main result of it was a that like the main bond franchise couldn't main franchise couldn't have like specter at all and then casino royale got locked away until it didn't oh god that's like a whole other podcast going through everything that happened with this uh legal court case yeah a lot of legal messiness which um i've barely looked into to be honest any kind of vague stuff on wikipedia and some documentaries but yeah it does seem like there's a lot there however as much as it has it must have been tricky for um like uh the albert broccoli and that when they were trying to make their official ones and having to sue and counter sue and all that stuff i am kind of pleased that it it led to this situation because it is weird i mean this eventually led to the the year of this film's release was 1983 which was the same year as octopussy so they it was dubbed the battle of the bonds I don't know if that was just a re- retrospective thing or even at the time, but I, th- I think that's kind of neat that there's there was just this weird other Bond film that we could talk about that's kind of like a weird knockoff one, but also they managed to get Sean, so it has some integrity still to it. 
Oh, if they didn't have Sean, I don't think people would talk about this nearly as much. Well, that's what makes this so like confusing, right? Like this is a, and I think it's why some people do credit it as a legit one because Sean Connery's in it. Like yeah. in 1983, you could go and see the new Roger Moore Bond film or the new Sean Connery Bond film. It's like that's so strange. It's kind mm. of like when No Time to Die Die came out. If there was a new one with Piers Brosnan in it, you'd be like, "What?" Like <laughs> if somebody <laughs> else made a Piers Brosnan Bond film at the same time as Daniel Craig's era was going, like. I can't even imagine that world, but that's exactly what happened in 1983. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Um, I'd love that. <laughs> Potentially. I could see Piers Brosnan. This feels a little bit like uh, some of the later Piers Brosnan years. A little bit die another day in areas, this film, you could say. That's so, true. So maybe there is a fit there. Yeah. He'd have to sing as well. Oh. Well. <laughs> no, maybe no? not. Um, All right. But... I'm kind of curious about your history with this film, though. Um, like, did you actually, like, watch this when you were younger alongside the other ones? No. In fact, I think this, for this podcast, this is the first time I've watched it all the way through properly. Wow. Okay. Beforehand, I would have only seen bits and pieces of it. I would have heard the song and seen how old Sean looks and things like that. But I'd never actually, yeah, never sat down and, and properly watched it. Is that because you were a Roger Moore household and... Absolutely. None I would have of been, that unofficial crap in my house. I'd have been spanked if I tried <laughs> to watch this. <laughs> wow, okay, yeah, sure, why not? Um, that's very interesting because, yeah, because um, I'm kind of the opposite where I wasn't really aware of any of this and kind of as I was growing up, this film was very much just part of the Bond franchise. Like, I just oh. didn't have enough of an understanding to kind of separate it. I don't think my dad or anyone really cared. And they did kind of show it. Like, as far as I'm aware, Never Say Never Again didn't really get buried that much. It was like a Bond film. It wasn't kind of in the same caliber. They wouldn't necessarily always include it, but it was still out there. Like, it was still a thing you could kind of access. It only kind of got buried later when MGM... I believe, actually got the rights to it and then kind of buried it a little bit because then they had rights to both of them. Um, but at the time growing up, yeah, like to me, this is one of the Bond films I very clearly remember watching as a kid. Um, like, I feel like I watched most of them, but the ones I clearly remember are like, obviously, GoldenEye um, and the and the Pierce Brosnan ones. I watched those as growing up. And then I know I watched The Spy Who Loved Me as well, pretty confident in that. And one I can definitely say I watched is Never Say Never Again. I clearly remember watching this film. I don't know what age I would have been, 10, something like that. I don't know, but I definitely watched it. And because it's this unofficial one and stuff, it made it it's made it very weird in my head because now I understand all the context around it. But to me growing up, yeah, this was just another Bond film and I watched it alongside the others. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I, did you When you say you watched it... What, did you like get it on VHS or was it on ITV2 or whatever I could this not was? give you those details, I'm afraid. Okay. I, I have no idea. Again, it's still like vague memories. It's just certain part of these film, this film like I are very clear to me. Like rewatching some of it again, I was like, oh yeah, this. Like, and a lot of it I do remember, even though I wouldn't have seen this film for like at least 20 years. Like once I started to get properly into Bond with like Casino Royale and stuff, I never really went back. Um, or if I did go back, it was for like the classic films. So I wouldn't have seen this film since, again, I was a, a kid. I'm going to say like 20 years, something like that. And I still remember these parts when it comes up. I'm like, oh, right. This is the film that has that in. And that song as well, I definitely very clearly remember with the hook. Um, 
So yeah, so it's um it's cool to kind of go back. It did kind of mean I was somewhat optimistic going in. Uh, maybe that's just because Octopussy was so terrible that it was kind of like, well, it's better than Octopussy, right? Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think for me, so I actually kind of spoiled myself a little bit. Not massively, but I had watched a review of this film not terribly long ago. Right. And in that review, there were points made that, oh, these parts of it are actually quite good. So I had those bits ready to kind of dwell on. Like, oh, okay, maybe there are actually going to be some good bits coming up. If I hadn't watched that review, I would have been kind of dreading this, I think. Because my main memory, as you've already pointed out, the song and the 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 domination video game bit, those are the two bits that really stuck out in my mind. Yes, I think that's true for most people as well, to be mm. fair. Um, but no, I kind of... When I see this get ranked, it gets ranked decently high. I try not to spoil myself with this sort of stuff. I want to keep it just blind, us watching it and just talking about what we think about it. But when I saw this and was looking up stuff about it, it seemed to be quite maybe in the middle. Like I would see it like maybe a 13 or something like that. Maybe some people a bit higher, some people a bit lower. So I had decent expectations. The fact that it was clearly going to be something very different made me think like, okay, I can enjoy something kind of different at its own weird thing as a separate side bit to the rest of the franchise. And there did seem to be some kind of respect for the film to a certain degree. So I was somewhat optimistic, but, um, well, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely not 13th, um, for me. No, I, yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's some people that wouldn't even consider it. So I think even by doing this, we are heroes. <laughs> we're giving it a chance. We're oh. heroes, yeah. Yeah, both. Yes. I mean, so there's tons we could talk about this film. Again, it is very complicated, but I think it's probably best we just get into it. Let's see what all the fuss is about. Um, so we start on... It's quite interesting because I'm watching the Blu-ray, which again is MGM, because at some point they did uh, have the rights. And funnily enough, they've re-released a, a 30th anniversary edition of this film on Blu-ray this year, because it's 30 years since it came out. Um, oh, oh yeah, I guess it would be, wouldn't it? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I bought the Blu-ray like a couple months ago, knowing we were probably going to do this, and it was quite expensive. And then like a month ago, they re-released it as a 30th anniversary, which is quite easy to get. So I was like, oh, <laughs> oh well. You're just a true Bond fan, don't worry. That's me, I'm just so committed. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so we get like red credits on the screen. There's no circles, of course. This is not Eon Productions. This is someone completely different. And because of that, it basically means anything that got established as part of the film franchise, they could not use. They had rights to the book and they had Sean Connery in, but it means so much of that stuff had to be stripped out because they simply can't use it so the circles obviously completely gone that was invented for it and the credit sequence is entirely different so we kind of start with these like red credits on screen and there's like a ton of like little 007s it's like um like a stencil almost over the screen and it's just repeated everywhere um and they kind of like zoom in on the logo and or zoom in on the 007s and then you know, the credits are still going with, like, this red text on top. It says, like, never say never again in very, like, standard text. And, like, the camera is, like, what, like, shooting over this, like, swamp land? Some sort of river? Yeah. 
uh, yeah, it's just kind of shooting through while all this is happening. It's a very basic um, credit. So at this point, we kind of like rotate around a house, which is in like this jungle and or not. Well, it's more than a house. It's quite it's like almost like a complex thing, but it looks a little bit like a house. Um, and we fade to a man like running down this like dusty trail in the middle of this jungle. And we kind of cut closer and we see that is Bond. It's Sean Connery back and sweatier than ever. <laughs> oh, I, I was so happy how quickly we got a sweaty Sean. It's pretty much instant. This is like the sweatiest he gets because this is like the most active Bond is. And he's like in the middle of somewhere quite hot. He's just drenched in sweat <laughs> for so much of this opening scene. He must stink. Oh, God. Oh, man, that must be awful. <laughs> Oh, but no, it was like, again, yeah. this is the sweatiest he has ever been. There is like one shot towards the end where it is just like a wall of water on his face. And I'm just like, that's that's great. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy about this. And, and that's not that's not like the, the team adding that spraying it on. That's just Sean. Yeah, they're trying to scrub it off and <laughs> yes. it just keeps coming back. We can't keep up. <laughs> just so many uh, like stagehands, like fainting. <laughs> can't keep up with poor Sean. Well, I thought they were going to... So yeah, that that first that first sight of him, uh, the first shot is is sort of him hidden a bit by leaves and, yeah. and overgrown. So I thought they were going to do something a bit like what I've done with a few of the the new Bonds in in the in the official series where they you know they they hide him for a little bit and then there's a big reveal or something like that or a very dramatic shot. And I guess it's a it's 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 not the worst shot to reveal on, but they don't really do that for very long. And I, I suppose. Why would they when it is Sean Connery? It's like everyone's going to know what he looks like and they they would have for sure used him a lot in the promotion for this film. So it's not like they need to do this big reveal. But I thought that's where they were going to go. Almost like Indiana Jones-esque where they were going through the jungle and being hidden by foliage and stuff. But no, he's just there, sweaty, quite quickly. Yeah, I think they just wanted to get straight into it. Like straight into here's Sean Connery as James Bond doing his thing. Yeah. Like, and as you say, he was so everywhere I think they almost wanted this like level of comfort of like, oh yeah, Sean Connery is James Bond doing Bond things. Right, gotcha. Um, but there are plenty of times in the rest of the film where they point out like, ah, it's Bond, he's back, it's Sean. Like they definitely do a lot of like subtle, not so subtle, uh, poking at itself about the situation. So I mm. guess they didn't feel the need to do it straight away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Bond's running through and he kind of sees like a guard near a house and like near this big house. I don't know what else to describe it as. It's like kind of this complex in the middle of this jungle. Um, so Bond punches the guy, takes his gun. And yeah, over the time, the song is playing. Um, so again, similar to kind of a credit sequence, we do have the Never Say Never Again song playing um, over the top of this. Um, so it's Bond doing his thing and it is an action scene and Bond like taking out guards and stuff. You just have this over the top, the the main focal theme um so we see bond looking around the base again very sweaty um he kind of climbs up a pole and then he has like this little gadget that he kind of throws in the air it kind of like spins away and then a load of like one of the guards like points at it and sees it and then kind of directs all the other guards to go and chase it which gives bond a little bit of time to kind of climb up this uh electrical pole nearby um he kind of slides up it and kind of lands on a roof uh, we see another guard who's kind of climbing down a ladder. Bond manages like garrot him. Another guard shows up. He has like a blowpipe out of nowhere and just uses that to take him out. <laughs> um, it's very like quick. Bond just kind of infiltrating this base and taking out guards. 
Um, so we see that Bond is like on this roof and he leans over the edge and he sees two guards by a table who are playing chess. And then he kind of leans over the other side of the roof while looking around. Um, at this point, it also comes up with the director because, again, the credits haven't quite finished. I think this might be the last credit or coming up towards the end anyway. Uh, it's directed by Ivan Kirshner, I want to say is how you pronounce that. Um, and the main reason I bring it up is because he also directed Joe... Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> like, actually, though. The good one that everyone really likes. Yeah. It's something that I think a lot of people do know that George Lucas wasn't, like, the director for all of them. But, yeah, this is almost like a nightmare um, before Christmas situation. Where, like, Tim Burton didn't direct that film and George Lucas did not direct Empire Strikes Back. This guy did. Um, and now he's here to do Never Say Never Again, which I don't have that much to say about it. It's just too bloody interesting to, like, dismiss. Mm. Yeah, very strange. Especially because this was 1983 as well. Like, I, as far as I'm aware, this is, like, the next big thing he did. Like, he did Star Wars, was a big hit. And this would have been his, like, next big film, I want to yeah. say. Anyways, around the same time. So this is, like, a director at the height. And he kind of chose to do Never Say Never Again, which is kind of part of this whole thing of this is actually quite a big production, for being like a side production is kind of interesting how big of a big of a film this is considering it's not main series yeah um yeah so we see that the two guards are still playing chess so like bond ties up a rope nearby to kind of like lower himself down um at this point this is when the song stops so the song was playing the whole time and now it kind of stops a little bit um so he then throws like a little explosive thing down below, which is like a sound device as well. They don't really explain a lot of this stuff. It's like just Bond using gadgets. So it gives a little explosion, but like it, everyone's like, ah, my ears and he's screaming and like covering their ears and stuff. So Bond then uses this chance to smash in. He shoots some of the guards and kills them. And he sees a young woman tied to a bed uh, nearby. So he clears out the room, he goes near this big hole, he looks down, sees a young woman tied to the bed, he enters the room, and a man like grabs him from behind. Um, Bond is able to kind of fight him off a bit. Uh, the man gets like a big wooden plank, starts swinging it, but he misses, and Bond is eventually able to knock him out. So Bond then gets his knife, uses it to free the woman, and the woman just stabs Bond straight away. And again, so much sweat on Sean's face. <laughs> 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 i know we've already mentioned it um so yeah so that's kind of our opening scene um so what about the song joe are you all in on the song i'm all in on disliking it great okay uh well the thing is 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 i don't know whether they just planned this but it it, it to me it sounds very similar to the octopusy song it's like it's, it's oh that, interesting it's that um very ballady lovey dovey sort of song but i think what i what i realized of what makes this one even worse than poor old rita coolidge is um there's a reason why they have title sequences where they can just put interesting visuals and silhouettes and kind of some more abstract stuff sometimes when it goes over action it it just doesn't work like <laughs> you're seeing bond take on this this camp and doing all of these stunts and everything. And you're getting this, this annoying song in the background that just doesn't match at all. And not even as in, it doesn't even work in the sense of it's so different that it kind of works. Like, Oh, is this really 
really tough thing going on on screen, and then there's this kind of more yeah, as a romantic song playing. It doesn't work like that. It just they just clash, and I don't think the singer's very good. I don't think the song's <laughs> very good. I don't think any of it's very good, to be honest with you. Mm. I mean, it definitely has a lot more of an eighty sound um, than the Octopussy song. Like, there's more like mm. it just eighty. I don't know. Yeah, just sounds in there than that. But yeah, you're right. It's a little bit tricky because. It feels like with this song, they were trying to replicate what Bond was doing, especially at the time, uh, where the one before this would have been for your eyes only. So this almost feels like it's trying to copy that a little bit. Um, it doesn't sound exactly the same as that, but again, like an 80s pop ballad. That's kind of what we're getting here, like this slower song. Um, and it has the hook, and the hook does really get into your head. Uh, maybe that's mostly me, because I remember it from watching it as a kid, and that Never Say Never Again bit really gets in. But mm. I was kind of surprised when I was watching this and listening to the song how, like, outside of that bit, yeah, the rest of the song is just naff. Like, it's just not very good. Um, so they they have the hook, and that's maybe all you kind of need. But, yeah, the rest is pretty weak. And it, I think they really let themselves down by trying to copy what the Bond franchise was doing at that time. Because what they were doing at that time wasn't great in terms of Bond songs. It was all the yeah. slower ones. It was... We had... Uh, nobody does it better and then they just try to do that multiple times with like not much success where the next one is where they would be like well forget this get duran duran in we're going to do a few to a kill and completely change anything so it just seems like they probably should have been confident enough to just do something very different because instead they're copying an era that wasn't very good for songs and doing it worse <laughs> it's just like oh that's a nasty combination yeah, it's like a it's like an iteration of a JPEG file. It's just <laughs> it's just going to yeah. get worse and worse. Oh, but going to back what you just said, I I actually think this is kind of a spoiler for some of the things later on. I think about this film later on. But where this film shines for me is where it does do it's things Sean's differently. Face. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> blindingly, I had to look away. We're back. Uh, no, <laughs> where where the film actually tries to do things differently and doesn't rely on the status quo of the official Bond franchise. So, yeah, you're, you're totally right. If they had if they had tried something different and looking at where the Bond songs have been so so far up to that point, it would have made total sense to do something that would have been like Duran Duran. It's just if they got in there first, that would have been a winner. But no, they 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 played it a bit too safe for this. Yes, I, and I can kind of get it. Again, this, is, this needs to feel like a Bond film to start with. I feel like that's something you really want to do. Um, and obviously there's just some stuff you can't do at the beginning of this film because they just can't they just can't do it. They're just not allowed to. So all those beats they can't really do. But it doesn't mean you can't do a cool action sequence to start it, and that would feel Bond enough. Um, so yeah, you get this bit of a mess. I like the idea, though. I like the idea of let's just start with an action sequence with Bond running around, killing guards and stuff. Let's start it with that and then start with the song over the top. I think that is still a good idea. Just where Hmm. it falls down is the song. And also, like, this is Sean Connery as an old man, as Bond, doing some pretty athletic things. Like, maybe not super athletic, not like Piers Brosnan level or Daniel Craig level, but still being extremely active. It was very strange seeing him, like, climb the pole and go, go all over the roof and running through the jungle, like... I don't know, it felt like a very odd start to make it so action-packed. You almost expected them to do, like, maybe a Goldfinger opening, something like that, you know, where it's more slow, but there's still a fight in there. But this is just, like, again, a very action-focused, and I'm not sure if that was 
quite the right move again i think the idea of like how do we replace the credit sequence all right let's have bond doing bond thing things and put a song over the top that's great it just feels like each element of it is actually quite weak and doesn't really work and we just kind of get something that's quite messy because i didn't really enjoy this as a action scene all that much either well i was going to talk about that because although i think action wise yeah it's very quick and there's not really much to it kind of what you were just saying then sean sean's uh, uh acting or well, acting his athleticism here is actually i was pleasantly surprised um <laughs> and maybe it's just they really tried to get it right matching with stunt doubles and things or they just got lucky or i don't know what happened but compared to some of the things that we see with roger moore even in later films than this it all i thought it, it looked really quite clean and and yeah maybe a lot of it was actually just because sean was was doing it and he, he got into shape he doesn't look like he's in the best shape at some points in this film but he you know he was an old man and you've got to give it to him for some of the things i thought actually for for sean's return how many years 12 years after diamonds are forever um i thought he could still put it off and i thought it was quite quite surprising how quick to, to spot that yeah again I, i'm going to stick by my point of saying i don't think it was, this was the right approach to be so action heavy but I would agree in terms of like, there was not that moment where I was like, God, he looks old, like, mm. which I was surprised about. Like, Diamonds Are Forever does have that moment. And some of the Roger Moore films very clearly has that moment when Roger just smiles at near the camera like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> the crazy <laughs> but, eyes, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Again, maybe it's the way it's shot, the way it puts together, like you said, with the Sean Connery doing some of the stuff. But yeah, never quite felt that. It was more convincing than it probably had any right to be. Yeah. I still didn't really like this overall. Just okay. to say. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, the song ruined it enough for me. Even even with that stuff I liked, it's still the song. So, oh well. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, so we then cut to some footage. So we ended that last scene with the woman stabbing Bond straight away in the gut. And then we cut to somebody watching video footage of Bond shooting all the guards from before and... There's kind of like a man in the suit and he's kind of watching it and there's somebody, he just kind of grimaces at it. He's like, ugh. And another man is watching the tape and says, one minute, uh, 47 seconds, sir. And it kind of reveals that Bond is in the same room and he's like, ah, not not too shabby, sir. And the other guy says, but dead, 007, dead. And I'm just going to reveal, this is M. Um, I don't know if, when they really kind of reveal this, I don't know if there is any moment where Bond calls him M early on in the film. If he did, I missed it. Uh, but this is them in London, in the MI6 headquarters, in that sort of type of M office style room. And this is M, Bond, and I think the other character does have a name, but I missed it. But basically like M's assistant. Might as well be like a Tanner type character. This is all of them sitting in a room reviewing the footage of Bond because this was all an exercise this wasn't real. This was just oh. Bond practicing or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. So all of the sweat was fake as well. well mm, <laughs> he's, a, he's a method. He really gets into it, <laughs> Bond. That's oh, okay. the thing. That's what makes him so good. Yeah. The sweat's always real. <laughs> but that is another thing that makes me a little bit confused because, again, I think the setting of a training exercise, that probably is quite a good idea. But they could have done anything. And they chose, like, just Bond storming, like, this complex in a jungle to rescue a woman tied to her bed i'm like 
I guess I get it. But if you could do anything, is this what you would choose? I don't. I don't think it is. Mm, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So they're they're talking about the footage, and M says you should have studied the brief, and you should have known that it was a millionaire's the millionaire's daughter that was captured. That Bond was there to save. He had been there for eight weeks, so she could have turned. You should have known. Um, and then Bond kind of explains how he's played all your war games, M. And I've done it for about two weeks, and I only died once. I am correcting him by saying, but twice you died on that landmine. Uh, Bond kind of pushes back by saying, well, I lost both my legs, but I didn't die. Um, and he's got very, like, he sounded very Scottish in this scene. I don't know if that's just because I'm, like, I haven't seen a Sean Connery Bond film in a while because I did get used to it. But there were definitely times in this one where, like, the accent really came through. And I kind of noticed it straight away in this scene. Hmm. I I think for me... No, I didn't really notice that, to be honest with you. Okay. I was just straight back into, oh, it's Sean. I, I know what I'm getting here. <laughs> yeah, because we kind of know from the, the From Russia With Love game on PS2 that he very much went very heavy accent for that. So I kind of somewhat assumed that this was like the start of it, where he kind of is speaking a little bit differently, but maybe not. But I did feel like a word here or there, the the accent was a little bit different. Mm. Um, so... Bond says, he, he talks about like adrenaline on the field giving him the edge. He's kind of like pushing back and he kind of, but he starts talking about since you took over, since this new M took over the department, he hasn't used the double O's at all and that Bond has actually just been teaching. Um, so M says, well, it's uh, it's your duty to keep up to par and that there's too many free radicals. There's too many toxins in your body. And he's like, red meat, white bread, dry martinis. And Bond's like, well, I'll, I'll cut out the white bread. And he actually looks a little bit hurt as well, I feel like. It's a very odd thing. So um, M starts saying, like, you're going to have a, a strict diet and you're going to exercise and, and get into shape. Um, and then that's kind of that scene, really. And this this new M, oh, he gave me that, like, Tanner vibes. Oh, that what that one. Yeah, that Tanner in, yeah. I think, for your eyes only, when M, like, yeah, he Bernardly wasn't able to do it, or he passed away. Uh, yeah. He gave me those vibes. A little bit mm. younger, or definitely younger than Sean. Very shouty, very loud, just kind of no balance. He, uh, yeah, it was, it was straight away a bad start for him, and I don't think he ever really gets good. I, I would agree. This M rubbed me the wrong way from the get-go. Um, for exactly the reason you said I think that's one actually to be fair I said where the film goes differently is is where it works I guess this is an example of it not working where they they have the young M and I think for this sort of relationship it just doesn't work so yeah he just comes across as just a bit annoying and and just yeah too angry for at this stage of the film I think this is our first introduction to him and he's already at 10 just dial it down a little bit, so then when he gets angry later on, then it makes a bit more sense, but he just seems permanently annoyed, this man. Like, I kind of understand the character a bit more now that I've watched the whole film, because I think they were just going for a comedy character. Like, I don't think he's you're meant to take him that seriously. I think it's just someone for Bond to, like, put jokes on. And the whole joke with this character is that he's really mean and horrible at the start. Then at the end, he was like, I always believed in you, Bond. Like, I think... M has just been reduced to a one-note comedy bit, really, which uh. is kind of sad and not great. 
but yeah, I think that's why he is like this, where, you know, the other M's or the other good M's would have a little bit of balance. They kind of strip away that balance. And I want to say it's just for the sake of kind of a, a running joke that M's just says, oh, blah, 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 Bond. And Bond's like, hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> like that's all that really ends up being. Yeah, I think you're right. And we are also straight away just seeing a ton of jokes. It's something that we're going to see here. But yeah, even in that scene, there was a few kind of jokes and that doesn't really let up. It's uh, It was quite surprising how straight away there was a lot of kind of quips from Bond in this scene. I didn't really dislike him or anything like that. But yeah, I was kind of like, okay, this film is kind of setting a tone I didn't expect. But we'll see where it goes. It's early days. And in this scene as well, they're also... The film could have gone either way with this sort of this angle where they've got Sean back. He's clearly older. Do they address that in the film? Do they point it out? Do they just try and sweep it under the rug? Like what they kind of do with Roger at the end of his era. Um, and you kind of get notes that they maybe like dip their toe into that with the whole element of, oh, you haven't used the double O's in ages. You need to stay at the top of your game. You're, you know, you may be getting a bit past it sort of thing. Although I wouldn't really say that goes very far. And I don't really expect it to. Like, they're going to get Sean back. They're not going to make Bond this old, sad man that's past his prime. But, <laughs> Boo! But, but I like that they they at least did a tiny little bit. They they threw in a little bit just to... Because, yeah, he does look. He does look older. He's got a terrible hairpiece on. Um, he's not going to look the same. So I can appreciate that. And I think, actually, they did the right decision of of kind of highlighting it, but then not dwelling on it and just moving on. And then from there, it's just back to good old Sean. Yeah, this might be something for later, but this is actually part of the film I was really disappointed by, the way they portray that stuff. Because I was going in expecting like a for-your-eyes-only sort of Bond, you know? Where he's still doing most of the stuff, but there's just some like lines and some stuff in there. Like he, he comes across more like a vet, like or veteran, like the way he mm. advises about the revenge stuff, you know, with the younger woman as well, where it's like, I'll buy you an ice cream. Like I was expecting this film to have that sort of stuff in it, especially because for for your eyes only did it really well and probably did it the best. And I don't think there's really anything in here. As you say, there's a couple of hints at it, but it's more betrayed that, yeah, Bond has been out of the game for a while, not Bond is older. Um, because the reason why M, like M is the one that has caused this. This isn't like Bond has retired or stepped out of it and now he's being brought back in. M is just saying, you're not doing this anymore. But then we just see him do all this crazy stuff in the beginning. And a lot of the film betrays him as the same Bond you knew 20 years ago and is still able to do all that stuff. When Sean Connery just clearly doesn't look like that. Which again, is fine that he doesn't look like that. It's just, I was kind of expecting, especially because like, again, I feel like I've read people talk about, oh yeah, this is, you know, they do portray as an older Bond and stuff. But watching it, I don't think they do. Or at least they do less than For Your Eyes Only. And a lot of the finger pointing at itself about this is more about Sean being back than it really is about Bond being older. And I think that's kind of a shame. I think there was a really good opportunity to have this plot revolve around that a little a lot more again not what you're not, not to say i want sad old man bond <laughs> but again like for your eyes only there's some sort of like aspect in there that recognizes that and it uses it to its advantage to make it a little bit more interesting but nope that that just kind of isn't part of the plot at all no. um and it's just it's just a shame i i wanted to see that stuff and sadly it's not here mm. 
yeah, so with that, it's again a very short scene. This um this film is full of those. We cut to Bond leaving the office, and a woman runs up to him and is like, Oh James, have you got an assignment? And Bond's like, Yes, money penny. Because that's money penny. Um, and approaches the desk and he says, I'm going to eliminate all free radicals. And Money Penny's like, Oh, do be careful, James. And then that's that. We just we just cut away. <laughs> yeah, barely it's literally just to say to the audience, look, there's Money Penny. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> that's it. Yep. And there's, then that's it. Get out. <laughs> so, there's so many scenes like in this film, which is just like thirty seconds a minute just to show something and then move on. I don't really like it, but Again, I don't really mind this M briefing and the money penny stuff being accelerated. Um, that kind of makes sense to me, especially with how much is going on with the film. But I guess it's not really worth it with where this film goes. But still, like I get it. Like you're not there to set up money penny again. Just oh, there's money penny. That's probably all you need. Also, a lot of uh, pictures of the Queen. If you noticed, a oh, I didn't in, actually. In, no. Yeah, in the in the room of M, there's a huge one behind them, and then. Even in Moneypenny's office, there's a little one of the Queen behind her as well. That's lovely. I didn't really pay attention to the sets that much in this film, to be honest. Like, yeah, I think in the jungle stuff, some of that stuff felt a little bit off in terms of the way it was shot. Like, some of it felt like, uh, I don't know, it was like a doll set or something, or like figures with some of those shots. But yeah, with this one, again, it's clearly trying to replicate the other films, but I never even thought about it. So I guess that's kind of a good job that I didn't think about it. That I just kind of accepted it as this is Bond seeing Money Penny and M. So I guess thumbs up for that. Yeah. So after the Money Penny scene, we cut to Bond driving into this very large, fancy looking estate in a very fancy car. I couldn't tell you. Actually, no, I think they say what the car is. Is it a Jaguar or something like that? They definitely um, look at it, yeah. Yeah, because it drives up uh to the front and there's a there's a there's a guy there, uh, what they call a valet or something like that, there to to grab um, his bags and and take care of the car. And he's like, "Oh, that's a lovely car. Um, they don't make them like that anymore," sort of thing. And 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 Bond's there and and says, uh, "It's still in pretty good shape." Which, as they're looking at this car, I thought, "Oh, that's you know, that's that's a nice little line there. Just a a very very simple way of still in pretty good shape, just like Bond." Yeah, subtle. Subtle. Mm. <laughs> because then we go inside and we see that Bond is having some sort of a exam um, done. There's a doctor there and a nurse in this room and he's on, on the bed and he's got his shirt off, nice hairy Sean, right in the middle of the screen. And um, his, the doctor's checking his, his back and everything and he's noting that he's got a lot of scar tissue, to which Bond then kind of quietly says, still in pretty good shape. I was like, oh, you've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does it? Oh, I didn't even write that down. I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, okay, yeah, you didn't have to explain the joke. I, I kind of, I kind of got it before, but thanks anyway. But yeah, so the, the doctor um, says to Bond that he's due some uh, rehabilitation. Uh, he needs better nutrition, and he needs to get some exercise. He needs to even do some meditation and find enlightenment. At one point, I think he says. So <laughs> you can imagine Sean's face when he's hearing all this. Um, and the doctor leaves the room and there's there's the nurse who's a little bit further away. And she asks Bond for a, a urine sample, to which he says, or he asks from here, which terrible joke, yeah. terrible joke. Uh, they're not all, you know, there's some, there's some ones that work and then there's some that really don't. But remember the urine, folks, because it comes back. 
uh, <laughs> with a vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, again, like, it's, it's that, what I said. There's just jokes in all of these things. And I guess that makes sense that Bond in a kind of, re, like, a clinic like this. I was going to say rehab clinic, but it's not quite that. Just a health one. I guess it makes sense to have jokes. But, yeah, it's a bit much for me. But I guess we'll yeah. get there. There's plenty more jokes to come. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. After that, uh, we, we cut again. We don't spend much time at Shrublands. I don't know if you said it was called Shrublands. I didn't hear what M said at first. What, what, what is that? And then, oh, it's Shrublands. Okay, that's the name. I had that with quite a few things in this film. Where I had to rewind to actually like, yeah. really take in what, I, what they said. If I was watching it without doing notes, I probably wouldn't have cared. But yeah, there was a lot of details. Thunderball's a complicated story. Um, and they, they don't really help themselves. Um, mm. But yeah, you get a lot of names thrown at you as we go. That's true. So yeah, we're cutting again. We we see some legs walking into this very fancy looking, well, it looks like a bank um, of this woman and some very big boots on and she walks and um, she goes up to a desk, still only seeing the legs and uh, a man follows her through a doorway and we eventually see the two of them uh, in full view now. They're walking through into what looks like a sort of bank vault because um, she requests to see box number blah, blah, blah in this vault. And very glamorous looking lady. She's got this nice feather hat thing on and a big feathery scarf and stuff. She looks the bee's knees. And she walks into the the vault with this guy and they they turn some keys on these two boxes at the same time, which reveals a secret doorway slides across and she heads down these steps and into the secret tunnel behind where there's uh, some security. She has to pass. There's a sort of scan that she does to get through these big metal bars and uh she enters this room and the first thing you see is this big scary metal skull so you know it can't be a very friendly place here they've got big scary skulls uh, <laughs> like, it like zooms in on it as well it's just right in case you, it's in yeah. the middle of the screen and then it zooms right in like ah <laughs> oh i think these are the baddies <laughs> <laughs> well you're right because it turns out this is actually a spectre meeting and i guess that's the that's the symbol well, is it the symbol for Spectre? Because they have another symbol. Yeah, they have like the, um, what the was flags. It? Yeah, like the flag symbol as well. I think the skulls are only used for this room, really. Okay. I think it's more like a Blofeld thing. Sorry to give that away. I, I feel like whenever you see the skull, it's Blofeld. But Spectre as a whole is just that other symbol. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, Blofeld's here. It's just it's like, it's like oh, oh yeah. yeah, okay. Um, they're in the middle of this meeting and he's he's at the at the front. And you see him. You just see Blofeld very quickly, very clearly. It's it's a man in a grey suit, oldish man with uh, white hair, beard, and he's got his, his trusty white cat in his arms. And um, yeah, they don't try and make anything of it. They don't... Obviously, they've got some similarities to the, the official Blofeld, but they, have, they haven't made him bald or anything like that. It's just, it's just there. And um, he's giving a little speech and, and telling... Presumably all of the Spectre agents in the room who have sat down um, that uh, Spectre are got a lot of money. They've, they've been doing some arms deals with governments and terrorists and things like that. But there's a there's a new plan underway, the biggest one yet, um, which number one is in charge of. And Blofeld says it's the plan is called Tears of Allah. And as he says that, this screen opens up on the side of the wall and on pops uh number one largo is there on the screen 
very different Largo as well, obviously. Doesn't have the eye patch or anything. He's quite a young-looking man um, with long blonde hair. And um, this is where you, you get a lot of exposition here quite quickly. So I had to go back and re-listen to this. Um, so they're, they're explaining that they have got a U.S. Air Force officer hooked on heroin. Uh-huh, yeah. So that he, they're mm-hmm. basically, they've got him under their control, under Spectre's control. And this officer has just had an operation performed to make one of his corneas, one of his eyes, a replica of the U.S. president's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. And that to recuperate, he is being moved to a clinic outside London. Oh, how's about <laughs> that? And that number 12 is going to be tasked um, to look after him. And number 12 was the woman we saw walking in. And the man's name, this officer's name is Jack Patachi. And yeah, she's she's the one who's got to deal with him now. So there's a, there's your Spectre meeting. How's about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that they take a different approach. I think you kind of have to. Uh, like, yeah, this does not look the same. This is like quite a small room. It's very fancy, though. It's kind of like what, like, uh, was it Stromberg or Stromberg had? It's yeah. very much that aesthetic where it's like a small room with just a load of chairs in it. <laughs> Blofeld on a little higher chair, because of course. Um, and yeah, it's it's more that sort of thing. And you got the video chat as well, which is all very impressive, I suppose. But yeah, they do tackle it differently. But yeah, it's it feels just a little bit lame with Blofeld. I think they they really wanted Blofeld in this film, and they really focus on the cat, like the most recognizable part. Like that is really hammered home to you. But like after this, he's in like maybe 20 more seconds of the film <laughs> yeah they really don't pay much attention to like there's it. the video stuff later on but once the plot gets going it has nothing to do with him so it just means this feels more like a cameo and because it's not part of the main plot really it would have been better without him but i guess they couldn't not have him in there it's just people never talk about this blowfell when we're talking about blowfells and when i saw him i was like oh why don't people ever talk about this one it's because he's just not in the film really He's just yeah. there so they can show him. They probably had him in the trailer, I would assume. But yeah, it's nothing about him. And I wouldn't say he's like a bad Blofeld. It's just like, I just can't really feel anything about this Blofeld because it's like, well, that's not Blofeld, really. That's just a dude who's just like holding a cat for a bit just so they can say they did it. The cat is very cute, though. Do you see his little paws? <laughs> he's a very well-behaved cat. <laughs> Compared to the one in You Only Live Twice. Yeah, they had the budget for this cat who just... Uh, do a little bit of acting later as well. It really, yeah, it was really emoting more than the Blofeld actor. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree. It's just such a nothing, a nothing role in this film. And I, I guess it made me think about the things I liked in Thunderball. There's going to be a lot of comparisons to Thunderball. It is the same story, of course. And if you, Blofeld is not a massive part of this film and this plot. It is really all number one. And so, what they, like what. What made this bit so good in Thunderball is that it was a really cool looking set and you had the sort of very office-like, very workplace thing with everyone sitting around there and everyone giving their own little updates. And then obviously you've got the, the death chair stuff and that's kind of, you know, but it was still a really good atmosphere, that scene, whereas this just doesn't have that. And when you don't have that, you realise that there's actually nothing to it. It's literally just a way to tell you some information. Um, so yeah, it was basically needed but they they didn't dress it up very nicely 
No, personally. yeah, you needed a little bit something more. You do, again, you have Blofeld talking about how we're investing in the Middle East and Africa to start revolutions and but and stuff like that. But none of that stuff's particularly interesting. This this just really not enough here. And again, I I try not to compare this film to Thunderball, but you are right. Like Thunderball just did it better, and just having Blofeld hidden meant that it allowed the focus to go elsewhere. It's kind of in retrospect. It might be a bit silly how much they hid Blofeld in the original films, but there was a real purpose behind it. Because when you show him and have him be this proper character, but then not have him in the film, you kind of feel it a little bit more. So actually, in retrospect, it probably made so much more sense what they did in Fundable. Keep him hidden, keep him mysterious. You have questions, but that's for the next film. And that's kind of cool. Yep, I totally agree. We head back to the clinic and we see... There she is. There's number 12 with Jack in a wheelchair. This all happened very quickly. They're straight back to the clinic and um, she's wheeling him across this this uh, this room very quickly and almost runs over Bond. <laughs> Bond is walking the other way <laughs> and has to sort of dodge uh, number 12 walking, uh, uh, wheeling, and um, in doing so sort of knocks into uh, this nurse that works there and kind of spills some papers. So helps get the papers off the floor and they start talking and... She eventually realizes, oh, Mr. Bond, I've got a, a session with you later on. Um, and there might have been some more innuendo talk here, your place or mine, I can't remember. <laughs> but very quickly they move on to having this session uh, with Bond uh, on, what do you call them? Table, I guess. <laughs> well, she's like <laughs> Where, grabbing him, right? Like almost yeah. like hugging him and like snapping his back, that sort of thing. Yeah, she's she's giving him some back stretches and snaps and kind of physiotherapy like that. So uh, lots of grimacing from Bond as she's doing this and she's checking his back and noting that he has uh, lesions on the vertebrae and that she'll need some, uh, that he'll need some lower back therapy, which Bond is, Bond says, oh, I can think of some, a good way of lower back therapy for men. Oh, (laughs) she's just having none of it. She doesn't care. (laughs) Not yet anyway. No. Then we see Jack uh, very, very briefly in his room um, at the clinic. He's having a, a quick smoke. And then we see Bond in his room and he's got this <laughs> giant suitcase. Oh, my God. And he's got it open. You can't really see what's in it yet. It's, it's you know, it's back his face in the camera. And he's looking inside and he gets a knock at the door. And what do you know? It's a nurse who's stretching his back. She comes in and she's got uh, some food for Bond. She's got a little food tray with some stuff on it. And she comes in and... And she's worried about being caught, but Bond's like, that's fine, come in, come in. And she's there to tell him that she's brought him some, uh, what is it, like dandelion stuff and goat's cheese and uh, salad and whatever. And <laughs> he's just like, hmm. And we see what's in the suitcase because he says, oh, how's about instead some cav- beluga caviar, some uh, vodka and some foie gras. <laughs> and pulls out this little cracker with some foie gras and just shoves it in her mouth and she's going, mmm, so tasty. So Bond has smuggled in <laughs> some some fancy food and vodka. Uh, it's not a Q gadget. I thought at one point it might be a Q gadget, but no, I think this is just Bond. He just needs it. Yeah, this is where, like, this is where I kind of realised the humour for this film probably wasn't going to sit right with me. Like, I just find so many jokes just are lame. Like, there's some good That's ones. That's lame. Yeah. But I just found this like, and I don't want to use this term because it's kind of a lazy term, but like it's a bit too boomer humor for my liking. 
Um, and that kind of happens throughout the film where it's, it's almost like if a fan, like fan fiction bond humor, where some of it, again, some of it does work, but some of this stuff, it's just so like, well, Bond likes his vodka and caviar. Oh, that's what he's going to smuggle in. No way is he having no bloody dandelion salad, whatever that is. Um, and it's just a little bit too direct on the nose for my liking. Like there was just no real kind of subtlety with it. And again, I think it kind of ties back into like, this is James Bond, guys. You know him, Sean Connery, James Bond. So a lot of the jokes about his character ends up being really on the nose. And it just kind of means that it just makes me groan more than it makes me laugh. It's kind of like what happened a bit in Spectre with Daniel Craig, where they start going in that direction a little bit as well. Where it's like, right. oh, throw that rubbish down the toilet. Oh, I don't like that stuff. Like, it felt a little bit similar to me. And again, it's not every joke. I think some of the humor does work. But so much of this stuff just feels like on-the-nose comedy writing about his character I just feel like they don't get that balance quite right and there's just not enough subtlety with some of this stuff with the humor for it to work so yeah unfortunately for quite a few of these gags like especially this one I was more just kind of groaning and just not into it subtlety is not this film's forte (laughs) no (laughs) by any means we've already had a dramatic zoom of a skull and yeah and there's so much more to come as well like oh oh you just wait but uh, yeah you're 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 spot on it's they really they were overcompensating but they had they had this bond license they've they've got this one chance to do it basically so let's just go all in with this and then it just comes off like trying too hard so i i was also in the the grown camp with that yeah i can see some people enjoying this and fair enough to them like there is almost like i guess a satisfaction to it and maybe back in the 80s it probably was cool but in retrospect now that we've got all these different films and you can just go back to whatever era you want yeah in retrospect this stuff's just it's just way too on the nose I also wonder if maybe, no, I, I think you're right in terms of watching this in, in 2023 is some of the stuff that the lady was saying in terms of food, I could go, I could go for some goat's cheese. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think tastes have changed. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of healthy food that people would like, and it's not, not just a joke, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Well, like, his thing is caviar, well. fulker and figs. Like, ew, that sounds yeah. awful. <laughs> Exactly. I wouldn't yeah. want to eat that either. That's not, I would give me the dandelion <laughs> salad over that for sure. Yeah, figs. Well, that's yeah, how you know it's figgy. old because mm. bloody figs is a treat. We go back to Jack in his room. He he hears someone coming through the door, so he has to quickly. He's wafting away the smoke as if he shouldn't have been smoking. And um, number twelve comes in. She's dressed as a nurse, uh, as we saw. So she's blending in. She comes into his room and. Um, She's not happy. She's not happy that Jack is smoking. She's telling him, telling him off. Smoking is dirty. It's bad for his eye. I guess it's bad for the surgery <laughs> recovery to get smoke in his eye. So, yeah, she kind of rips off his bandage there and um, and sits him down and really tells him off and, and says that uh, he must obey if he wants his fast cars and all this sort of stuff, all of the rewards that he's been promised for being part of this Spectre plan. Uh, and to end that, she also says, if if you want your sister alive to which he's he kind of reacts quite strongly to and she she starts beating him to to you know get him under control and the the noises of that we we see bond hears that he's in bed with the nurse and she's kind of stirring a bit and bond is awake and he he hears what's going on in in the nearby room and and looks through the window and just so happens that yeah the (laughs) the room is like right in view across the window and she see uh, he sees uh, number 12 beating 
as Jack guy. Um, like very obviously as well. Like yeah, very, yeah, she's not trying to hide it very well. She's just they're standing in front of the window and she's like beating him. So it's like not hidden in the slightest. No. No, not the best work for a Spectre agent. Uh so Bond gets dressed and he, he goes up to the window outside, uh, like right up outside Jack's window, um, where there's a blind down. So yeah, he's he's not being seen, but he's checking through sort of the crack between the blind and the window and you can see that uh, number 12 is checking Jack's eye and he's got some machine, some sort of contraption. It looks like one of the machines you get when you go for an eye test and you put your chin in it. And uh, he has to use this machine in, in eight seconds. He's got to do it quickly, whatever this thing is, as part of the, uh, the Spectre plan. And if he does it, he can get some candy. And, and with that, she reveals a, a syringe on her thigh. So she's got some more heroin. She's got the goods for him. If he if he does what she wants, and Bond looks down and sees I can't remember what he sees it on is it a bag or something he sees uh, a design like a, a an emblem of two flags crossed over um, and kind of makes a note of that I guess and as he does so the blinds shoot up they kind of unlatch and the blind goes up and he's right in full view of Jack sat there on the machine and. He spots Bond and Bond runs off and, and Jack's all panicking and oh, he's, you know, someone there, someone there, he, he's seen me. And number 12 comes out and, and has a look, has a look out the window. She's got these binoculars and at first you kind of get a POV of her looking through and it's just completely pitch black. But she focuses focuses in on one section and turns on some sort of night vision mode and you just see Bond really unflattering angle of bond <laughs> pressed up against like big double chin almost as he's as he's there pressed up against the wall and she points out it's 007 so she knows who bond is mm, yeah so again not to compare it too much to Thunderball because Thunderball had this sort of scene where bond was like sneaking around at night but from what i remember that one that had way more atmosphere than this like, so much of this film is just not really about atmosphere at all. It's a little bit more about function of the plot and just, like, humour for a lot of it. Yeah. And it kind of makes this all just a bit... I just wasn't really into this at all. Uh, and it's just... Some of it's just the way it's shot. Again, there's just no atmosphere. There's no real sneaking. It's just Bond having a little peek. And then Jack, like, freaks out. And then Jack's also acting kind of like a kid in some way. It's, it's just all a little bit uncomfortable, I suppose where the plot of this or the tone of this film is more comedic like it's a more humor based it's much more in line with like a diamonds are forever in my opinion in terms of tone um, than like the original Thunderball. but then you just have these elements that just seem really just a bit grim and sad and a lot of that comes i from i think jack's character where he's been like addicted they force him to be on heroin so they can do whatever they want with him and then mm. she's like beating him and treating him like a kid and like has the heroin on her thigh and talks about nurse giving the baby's candy and then like kisses him as well. It's all just very weird and creepy and just uncomfortable. There's quite a few things about this film that's a bit more uncomfortable, but I think the problem is that like it's clashing heavily with the more comedic tone where they took the story of Thunderball, which... I think in the original it was just like they killed the captain guy and then someone just got surgery to look like him, which yeah. makes sense to me. But this is just a much more kind of sinister, evil sort of plot. But we get like a sillier film around it. So 
to me, I just kind of like, I really did not like these sort of changes at all. Like, I just don't think these kind of worked. And I think if you were going to go for a more humorous tone, that's fine. But then why did you make the plot a lot more grim and sad with these characters? It just, it just doesn't really make sense to me. I think for me, uh, I, I would agree with that. I think it is very different tones going on. Um, right. Particularly in this point in the film. I think this, what number 12 eventually ends up being is a lot more, it works a lot more. She becomes a lot more comedic character right now. She just seems like a sort of femme fatale, complete evil woman. And the thing I was thinking, I was trying to think as I was watching this film, if I hadn't, I've watched Thunderball. If I if I didn't know Thunderball and the rough storyline of it, would I be following this? Because I remember thinking, whilst watching Thunderball, this is quite a... It's not a, a, an overly complicated plot point, but I, I, I feel like in that film, I got confused quite quickly as to what was going on with this whole... Yeah, the, the pilot being switched out and then having surgery to look like them and then blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just missed a lot of it or I just didn't keep up with it. Um, whereas I think... In this film, maybe it's just because I have the prior knowledge, but I actually, I actually quite like that they went with this eye thing instead. It's a lot easier to understand. It's just, yep, they've got someone's eye. <laughs> We're going to use that, uh, and I, I kind of like that. I, I was on, I was on board with this up until this point. Even, even the heroin stuff, which I thought, yeah, it doesn't quite fit at the moment, but it is Spectre. Like, they are going to be evil. They're going to do what's necessary. That's not a bad idea, get someone hooked. <laughs> no. Get them under control. But, um, yeah, I actually quite appreciated this slight change where they made it this eye thing instead, and, and I thought they displayed that quite well. Mm. I, yeah, I find the eye thing quite gross, to be honest, though, like the way it looks. Oh, one yeah, of it doesn't eyes, look the best. Yeah, it just looks completely different. It looks really horrible. And, again, there's the bulging. Way- yeah, just the way Jack looks and stuff. It's just all a bit pathetic and sad. And and I agree that I did follow this probably a bit easier than Thunderball, but I do think that's just because I know Thunderball, like, and I just yeah. know where this is going. And it's sort of all about the manipulation of this character. But to me, Spectre is all about extortion, right? I think Blofeld says it at some point. It's like terrorism, is it terrorism, extortion, revenge, something yeah. like that? So why don't they have his sister... Why don't they just do that? Like, I just feel like the heroine is just really kind of unnecessary. And maybe you could just say, oh, that's Spectre. But I don't, not in the original series, maybe more in the book. But I felt like in the other series, no, not really. Um, And they just, they had the sister angle that would have totally been fine and totally would have worked. And it just feels very kind of unnecessary. And it just kind of adds this tone that's just, makes it a little bit more uncomfortable so yeah the eye stuff i i guess i kind of agree that that could have kind of worked but yeah it's just it's just a little messy and it just means things just kind of conflict and yeah i I wasn't really enjoying this but i also agree about the character of number 12 like like similar to thunderball the clinic stuff in thunderball is probably the worst part of that film in my opinion and i'm just gonna say right now i think the clinic part never say never again is probably the worst part of this film as well Um, And that's a massive shame because they obviously had a chance to change it and fix it, but they just created brand new problems in terms of messy tone and stuff, which I was uh, just very Mm. let down by. So I was like, yeah, again, just to give it away, did not enjoy this clinic bit, like at all. Not even the next bit coming up? Nope. 
Okay. <laughs> so, the next bit coming up. So we cut to Bond kind of going down the stairs within the facility, within the clinic. He's in, like, sweatpants and towel, and he runs past the doctor and the 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 nurse from last night as well. And he asks, like, ah, I, I hear you're making fine progress, but uh, you're looking a bit pink. And Bond explains, oh, I was up all night, hey. Um, but the doc says, don't, don't overdo it. And then he's like, a herbal enema will fix you right up. Um, and Bond says, thank you. And they kind of walk away. And we cut to Bond entering in Jack's room, the one that he was looking at last night. But it's empty, completely empty. And he kind of checks the bed a little and he smells the flowers for some reason. Does he? Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of puts his nose in the flowers. It's like, okay. Uh, and then he looks under the bed and he sees the cigarettes and there's also matches with the cigarettes and on the matchbox has the same flag symbol that he saw last night. Like kind of like that cross with the two flags, which is like, now that's the spectre I know and love, printing Some bloody matches with their branding <laughs> on. What else do you think they have? Towels? Coasters? Oh, they've got it all, mate. Anything mugs. you want. <laughs> is there a gift shop maybe on the way out? Yeah. After you've been so. dropped down the chair, there's a little gift shop at the end. Yeah, you go into the gift. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say you go into the gift shop and it just opens up and you just fall somewhere. <laughs> it just kills you. Um, but yeah, so he sees that symbol, which again, this symbol thing, I don't think really goes anywhere at all. But it's just something because I think in the second half of the film, it gets completely dropped, which is why actually I kind of even forgot this was a thing talking about it now. I. I'm going to rely on it for one part coming up, but I think that that might even be a stretch. I don't know. It's not really clearly said. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So we cut to some weights being kind of like pushed up and down, some sort of weight machine, like some sort of gym equipment. And we see Bond doing some weights, which again, it's like, I shouldn't complain every time, but yeah, this is just Sean Connery being portrayed as Bond, but he's not struggling with the weights. He's doing the weight and he does a ridiculous number of reps as well. Like, they are not showing Bond being weak in the slightest. He is still Bond, and he's still doing all these weights. He never struggles in a way that he wouldn't normally. So, yeah, again, he's doing weights. And we cut to someone nearby, like, with a big sander sanding the floor, and some big dude, like, grabs him by the neck and knocks him down. And we see it's this, like, big man with a beard as well. So we go back to Bond doing weights, and somebody with the sander comes in. I think Bond says, oh, I'll, I'll be a minute. But the guy goes over, he watches Bond for a bit, and then he cuts the weights. So the pole comes down and lands on his neck. And the bearded man says, oh, heavy, Mr. Bond? And he kind of pulls up the pole and he starts like smacking it down into Bond. Bond is like holding it back up, trying to protect himself. And Bond is eventually able to like kick the man and like, kind of jump back up. And hence begins a very long, very long fight scene. Um, I think this is Lippe, isn't it? Oh, is that his name? I didn't even know. Well, you know who the guy in Thunderball that Bond goes up against? Um, you know the guy that like activates the back machine that causes him to shake? Oh, this is... Because, yeah, I was trying to link up. This seems like the back machine part, whereas on the weight machine. Yes. Right, to Count Lippe. Yes, I remember now. I can't remember exactly Lippe's role because, again, as you kind of said, the beginning of Thunderball is a little bit confusing. And that's largely because they introduce all these different characters and one of them is literally changing their face as part of the plot. Yeah. Um, but I know Lippe's kind of a part <laughs> of that. But yeah, this is supposed to be him. But this time he's a very classic, huge henchman, very like Jaws-esque. He's massive. 
he might even be like broader than Jaws. He looks more like in shape than Jaws is anyway. Um, so they start to fight. There's a lot of Bond just like being thrown. So the man just, Lippe just throws him away. Um, but Bond is kind of still like holding onto his neck a little bit and like the Lippe comes over to him. So Bond kind of grabs some, a couple of dumbbells out nearby. He throws one, but Lippe just knocks it away effortlessly. Then the other one, Bond goes to attack, but Bond just gets thrown again. So this time Bond decides to go for a small bench, holds out in front and Lippe just punches it in half. Very much the whole super strong, tough henchman routine here. Everything Bond does, he just bats away. Um, so Bond goes to punch him, but Lippe just grabs his fist, just kind of squeezes it, and again, throws him out of the room completely. But this time, kind of like Bond disappears. And then, like, he hears someone groaning, and he sees some fingers around a door frame. So Lippe just grabs this person, and it was the man with the sander before, and then he just throws him away. Um, I quite like that bit to be fair. <laughs> it was so odd. I assumed Lippe like knocked him out, but no, he was still just hanging around. <laughs> like didn't go and leave. Yeah. Um, so it turns out when he did that, Bond was behind a door because they're near a door frame. So he like shuts the door on him and there's like a crunch sound and he hits him face first. And it's like the crunch sound is like he broke his nose. And then you see his nose is like flat for a little bit afterwards. Um, so Bond kind of gets punched a little bit after that and thrown again. So this time they just cut to them being in a corridor and you see a load of people like watching a football match. You don't see the TV or anything. You see kind of a corridor behind them, a load of people facing the other way. So Bond and Lippe are fighting and the commentary of the football match syncs up to kind of what's happening in the fight with him punching so he's like he goes for it and he scores and that's Lippe like kicking Bond and everyone cheers and they just don't kind of notice that happening so after that we cut to Bond like running down some stairs if it goes to follow Bond like hides behind some stairs or like below the stairs and then like uses a wooden plank to like slide it in and trip Lippe up and then Bond just like kicks him when he's on the ground very heroically and then we just cut to like a chef in a kitchen <laughs> making some food. Keeps and, going. And just see some silhouettes of men fighting. And then Bond like smashes through the glass and the chef starts running around. And Bond then is just being thrown through the kitchen, but he gets a knife. But then Lippe gets like a small... I put down whip because I really don't know what else you would call that thing. I, it's like some magical metal thing that can break anything. Yeah, it like breaks it anything super small, but uh, like strong, but it also like whips weirdly. Like it's not rigid. So he just whips Bond's knife and it breaks. And he tries to whip Bond. So Bond like runs around the table. The chef is still there and just screams. He's like, ah, oh, you bloody, ah. Oh. <laughs> <I> like, <laughs> she's like, you lunatics. And then she runs <laughs> off. <laughs> she's my favourite part of this. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, she had to get her line in before leaving. <laughs> so then, like, Bond and Lippe on the other side of this table being like, ah, I'm going to go this way, I'm going to go this way, going to go this way. Um, so Bond runs one way and then just throws a pan of boiling water in his face and then kind of, like, runs off. And then they're in another corridor and, like, drops a bookcase on him or something. And then Bond runs into one of the side room and hides and there's, like, a woman in bed. So the man comes in and Bond like grabs the bed covers off the woman and like wraps the man up completely. Then he's all like lots of like muffling. And then Bond like manages to kick his whip thing off him. And then they go smash through a different door. 
And they're in like this kind of lab with all these beakers and acidy and sciencey sort of things. So Bond is like thrown into a shelf on the floor. Lippe's there and starts approaching him. So Bond picks up a beaker of something, throws it at Lippe in his face. He screams and like kind of falls back and looks very stunned, like goes down to his knees a bit. And Bond checks the beaker and it says urine of James Bond on ah. it. Yeah. So then the it's man back. falls backward or he falls forward and we see when he went backwards, a load of glass like pierced into his back. Oh, that was so exhausting. <laughs> this was yes. just way too long. Wait, like this is just pure comedy as well. There's nothing really all that interesting in it. A lot of it is just the usual strong henchman bit, which is fine, I suppose. But it's just so padded. I just... This should have been half the length easy. Yep. Oh, for sure. It's just at one point it felt like... It was a bit where they're they're running down the corridor and Bond first he throws over the like plate display thing, like the cabinet, and then he pushes... It. What else is going to be there? It just felt like they... We just need more things to destroy. And then, yeah, just... Everything smashing. They just wanted to get everything on screen smashing and, and destroyed, even if it meant it took 10 minutes or however long it felt like. Um, and then to top it all off, it didn't really even have a very satisfying ending. No. So, you know, he impales himself. On yeah, the it was confusing. I assumed what? the urine killed him, but then he falls forward. And they, yeah, you see he's been like a load of glasses just now into his back because I guess he went back so quickly due to Bond's urine in his face, that was enough for Glass to, like, pierce his back. It's like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was this was a struggle. I mean, again, I don't really mind, like, strong henchman fight with a bit of humour thrown in. Like, I feel like the film has kind of established itself as being more humorous as a whole, which is not the way I would have wanted to go with it. But with this being a side film and it very clearly going in that direction, I didn't mind that. It's just just too long, just way too long. Yeah. The commentary match, again, like is just lame, just not really very funny. Maybe you can keep the kitchen stuff, I don't know. And of course, the big one, the urine. Again, it's just so on the nose. I guess the joke is that James Bond drinks so much that his urine is like acid. <laughs> right? Oh, too much caviar? Yeah, yeah it must be, right? That's all I can think of. Like, I guess I don't think anyone wants urine in their face, but I guess the idea is that it's so potent. He has so many Fogo martinis that he like urinates. Again, alcohol, I guess, wouldn't be great, but alcohol wouldn't burn you if someone threw alcohol in your face. So I guess he drinks so much that it's even beyond that. Yeah, it becomes it's like corrosive. Pain thinner. Yeah, yeah, he really did need to go to that clinic. Yeah, like M was right on this one. Like, have some goat cheese <laughs> yeah. bond. Come on. Yeah, get rid of those toxins. Yeah, so yeah, pretty bad. Pretty bad stuff. Um, so this kind of instantly cuts to M and telling off Bond. It was like, You're, you weren't meant to destroy the place. You were there to get better. And he starts ranting about, oh, I'm going to have to cover this up. I'm going to have to pay people off. Keep it out of the press. And Bond then just says, a man did try to kill me, sir. And then M's like, oh, caught you trying to... Uh, What's the word? A uh, seduce his wife, did he? It's like, what? What are you on about, M? Yeah, you're meant to be a new new M, aren't what you? What are you talking like, about, M? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then Bond says, I, I lost four pounds and got rid of three radicals. 
At this point, M shouts and slams his fist on the table and he says, you're suspended. Just, oh, this was just awful. Like, it's just the... Again, I think part of, like, the whole fact that they destroy the place meant to feed into this scene, but I just don't think it makes any sense. Just none of it makes any sense. I don't even know if I want to bother to break this down because it's just stupid about... M's logic is ridiculous. What happened before is ridiculous. Someone trying to kill him. Him being suspended. It's all just complete nonsense. Just really awful stuff here. Yeah. The the, the bluster level is up to 11 already on M. As yeah. you say, he slams the table. It's so angry. <laughs> so, But I love how it just cuts so quickly after that as well. Oh, I, the reason for this, I should suspend you, Bond, and then cut. It's just instantly over. It's Wow, okay. <laughs> We're just going to move on. Yeah, it's another one of them. They keep doing it. And it's something that I really don't like about this film, where I wouldn't say it necessarily feels rushed. And in terms of like the editing within the scenes, it's not like a Quantum of Solace situation, right? Where it's like, cut, 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 cut. The actual scenes itself are fine. And it does move at a decent pace. It's just, I don't know, there was something I really disliked about this editing style. Like, this film is extremely dense, and then you get these sort of edits where it just kind of cuts to stuff very quickly. Very, very quickly. And we already had that in the clinic, like, a lot as well. Like, where someone says something, smash cut to something, like, you're already in the middle of the next thing that's happening. Mm. Um, and that that's kind of what happens here, where it's like, the scene finishes with the fight, smash cut to M in the middle of it, and then smash cut at the end when it's done, and we're on the other thing. Like, there's a lot of that. And it kind of creates this sort of pacing and this feel of the film that I really did not appreciate. Um, it gets better, though. It's The whole film's not like that, but they cram a lot in, and I think the editing style kind of suffers for it, where it's just a lot quick. Um, some scenes are very quick, and sometimes they have to cut stuff and not let anything kind of settle to keep things moving forward. Yeah, it doesn't always flow very well. But yeah, especially not here anyway. Anyway, after that, after M's ang- angry outburst... We are moving to a, a new location, <laughs> and we are now at Swadley, which is a lovely name. It's a, a US airbase uh, that's in the UK. I had to look up if this is actually a real place. I don't think it is, but Swadley. <laughs> it just sounds mm. awful. <laughs> but yeah, we see loads of planes. It's, it's, like, yeah, it's a US airbase, and um, we, we cut inside to a sort of control room area. Loads of officers and generals sat in there and uh, staff behind screens and they're all talking about um, this operation that's about to happen where they're testing uh, the distance and accuracy of some missiles um, that have been loaded with dummy warheads. Dummy ones, everyone. Dummy. Um, dummy. Dummy? And, <laughs> dummy. Dummy. Yeah. And they get, the, <laughs> they get the all clear from uh, someone over, over the, um, the radio. And you see that Jack, Jack Patachi, has been sat down there in this room with all the uh, the generals and everything and the officers. And uh, with that, he stands up and, and walks out. And he's looking a bit nervous, obviously. He's kind of touching his eye as he leaves. And he goes and picks up a, a briefcase from outside and goes to enter uh, this restricted area. And you see it's restricted because it's got this big fancy door with this... Well, I actually quite like this locking me- mechanism. I don't know, I found it very satisfying. Like he presses a key card in and then he has to slide down this thing. I don't know, I just found that really... It was way more detailed than it had any right to be. But um, he goes into this room and uh, there's this big computer panel section in the middle and he, he opens it up and he opens up his briefcase and inside is the 
the eye machine thing that we saw him use in the clinic, and he starts to plug it into the main computer mainframe, um, attaching all the wires and everything. And with that, the computer voice, the automated voice comes up, and <laughs> it's the most helpful uh, uh, instructions because the, the voice is saying, oh, hello, Mr. President. Yeah, you, you know, to proceed, you'll need to pass the uh, authorization within eight seconds, else the, the base will lock down or something along those lines. And um, so he puts his chin to the machine and you see his eyes getting magnified. There's this sort of yeah, lens over it and you see him looking over and putting in some buttons uh, as he was practicing and he does it and he succeeds at whatever this this test was. And you see the, or you hear the the computer or the automated message say, <laughs> dummy warheads replaced with uh, nuclear missiles. And it's just, it goes on for longer than that, but it's like the most on the nose message. It's just, I, I was surprised it didn't start saying, uh, you know, thank you, Jack, for doing your plan as part of the Spectre heist. Uh, <laughs> your mission was successful. Here you go. It's just... But yeah, it's just spelling out to the audience that yes, the dummy warheads have been replaced with actual nuclear missiles. Again, very it it somewhat works because this film is more humorous and silly. But it's like like this character kind of makes me sad. But yeah, again, like the I felt like the other film kind of made more of a point of explaining how all this works and connect together. But yeah, as you say, like what do you mean he just made a phone call and now the dummy warheads are being swapped out? What? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, all right, fine, okay. But but yeah, if you're expecting like proper spy stuff here, like nope. He just makes a call and it the dummies are swapped out. There's no process, it's just a man in a room with an eye machine. Yep. That's exactly it. Something in the background puts the new ones in. I think he even ends by saying, Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah. And then he's done. So with that, um yeah, these missiles start to get loaded onto a plane outside. Uh, with lots of warning stickers. You know, it's good that nuclear missiles have a lot of nice, bright yellow warning stickers because, you know, you might, you might... Accidents could happen. But four stickers, and I think it's safe. Anymore, not necessary. Um, and as they're getting loaded on, Jack is in a car. He leaves this um, this airbase. Again, looking quite... Uh, well, he's trying to act cool and calm, I suppose, but he's, he's in the car and he's leaving. And... Um, the plane is in the air and it uh, launches the missiles. And you see, because it's over the clouds, and you get the shot of the two missiles leave and they open their little uh, wings and they fly off and they start to cruise over the over the land. And I wrote down here that I was surprised by how good this bit looked. No, Joe. Really? I, <laughs> for 1983, I thought this actually looked not bad at all. I don't know. It was so obviously like a green screen or something. Like I, I really didn't like it at all. Really? Yeah. Oh. I feel like they just should have done it with more just like, I don't know, props and stuff. But it's so obvious like that it's these missile models, I'm assuming, put over the top of footage. It's just... I don't know, it didn't feel quite right. Maybe it's just, I think it's the shots they used that didn't help, where they use a lot of very fast plane shots, where they're just going over the countryside really quickly. And then they're just, I think they got a little bit too ambitious with it. I think if they simplified the shots a little bit more, maybe it would have worked. But no, I, I just, it was so blatant they weren't there that I was like, hmm, that's a shame. 
I liked how dynamic though it was moving a lot I yeah like movement. again that's why I think it's too ambitious like they have a lot of different shots and maybe that's that in itself can work quite well but it didn't convince me that this was real it wasn't real though oh no <laughs> Uh, anyway, so we see we, we cut back to Jack in his car, uh, leaving the airbases a little bit further out now in, in the countryside, and another car drives up alongside him, and it's number 12. She's in this open-top car, and she's again, she looks very stylish, number 12. She's got this big fur coat on, and she's waving to Jack through the window, bravo, and blows him a kiss, and um, I think she gestures to lower his window, maybe, or maybe it was already open, and as she does, <laughs> as he does so... She grabs a snake. Yep, that was in the back of her, in, you know, in the back seat, and just lobs it in the car. <laughs> lobs it in Jack's car. <laughs> Through the window it goes. Jack's there, going, "Oh, oh no!" And where he's been distracted by the snake, the car then careers up a ramp and into this brick building uh, next to the road, and like overturns. And yeah, it's in there, nice and good. <laughs> and, um. Uh, number 12 pulls up and, and gets out and goes to inspect the car, the wrecked car, and she goes to grab her snake. The snake is still alive. No animals were harmed during the making of this film. That's actually true because there's definitely a shot later on that would make you think otherwise. Um, and yeah, so she grabs a snake and she plants a bomb in the car, goes back to her car, gets out a little transmitter and detonates it and boom goes the car. And that's Jack dealt with in a very... In a, in a very overly complicated manner. <laughs> this is like, oh, I was very conflicted about this, but I did think surely Joe's enjoying that. Like, surely Joe, did. Joe loved that scene. <laughs> I love that stuff. And actually, I, I say overly complicated. I can, I can see the logic there. They need to make it look like an accident. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't just shoot him. He's got, I, I get it. I'm, I'm totally with number 12 there. I would have used a snake as well, actually. Would you? Yeah. See, what I thought they were setting up is that the snake would be her thing, but no, nope, never comes up again. No, that's true. It's a one-time yeah. snake for her. Oh, mm, God. Missed a trick there. I, like, again, this is this scene felt very Diamonds Are Forever, like, through and through, because it's so silly, it's so impractical and stuff. But I didn't really dislike it. I think it's mostly because of just how it's just... It just goes from, like, somewhat normal to so absurd, like, in a second. Because even the snake throw is so quick... They yeah. don't really set it up. You know how normally in a scene there might be somebody like holding a gun, like secretly hidden, a, and like they show shots of them moving the hand, and they see a little bit of a gun, and then when they shoot, you're like, "Oh yeah, that's the gun." This mm-hmm. is just like have a snake. It's like ah, a snake, <laughs> and like Jack's acting is so bad, it's good because he's just like, "Oh no, ah." <laughs> Like, like, who says "oh no" to a snake thrown at me? <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> I would just scream or something. But it's, it's again, it's like a kids' TV show where something bad happens and everyone just looks at the screen and is like, "Oh no, <laughs> the biscuits have been stolen." <laughs> it's like that. Only a snake, and he dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's true. I mean, he, she did treat him like a child, so maybe it's just coming through more. Yeah. So I did kind of like this, to be honest. It, it was just so funny. And like the music that's playing is like this wacky band, big band music as well, because she's playing yeah. it from her car. So like that kind of helps sets the tone as well. But I also was kind of happy that Jack's now dead. We can kind of move part that. I really didn't like his role in this film. Um, so we get a really wacky death for him, and now we can just move on from the heroin stuff. 
So it's kind of a signal of things are, you know, we're out of the clinic. Out of that, we get some weirdness. Maybe things can turn around here. Maybe. Hmm. Absolutely no more weirdness to come now. That's nope. It. It's all out of our system. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's still the missiles. They're still, they're still cruising um, at high altitude. And you get sort of some POV shots from the missile and it's, it's target uh, where it's like scanning the, the terrain and you get these fake 3D shots, kind of Tron looking things with the outlines of the, the, the terrain, uh, which I didn't mind. Obviously, it's aged terribly right now, and it it looks bad. But I actually quite like the retroness of it. But um, yeah, these targets you see that they're sort of being well. They eventually get uh, kind of what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, controlled and remote controlled because we see there's a boat in the sea with this um, satellite dish on the top, and you see I put that there's the same flag design. I can't actually remember where it is in my notes, but. Somewhere you see the flags again that you kind of know it's a Spectre thing going on, obviously. And there's a guy at the controls of some machines inside, some scientist-looking guy uh, with radars all around him. And yeah, he uh, he hacks the, the missiles and starts to divert them down into the sea. And uh, that's when you see, yeah, all the, the missile targets being swayed and moved. And you see the back in the, the airbase, all the officers are like, what's going on? Why, you know, why is it... Why is it lowering? It's still got full thrust sort of thing. And they, they quite cleverly, I guess they didn't really know how to film the, the missiles actually diving into the sea. So you get back on the boat with the, the guy behind the, the radar stuff. You see a 3D interpretation of it, um, of the, the missiles diving down, um, because then it just cuts to them already underwater. And there's these boats that start to head out and collect them from the seabed. So that's how they got around that. Yeah, Clever I thought that stuff. was quite smart, yeah. I do, and it's not really fair, I do prefer how Thunderball did all this stuff, but I could also totally see why somebody would prefer this, because this is so quick and direct. It's mm. just the missiles are in the air, and they just land and they steal them, and that's that. But I kind of really like that in Thunderball, but where they show the whole process of it. I thought that was quite cool. But, you know, for this film, it would not have made sense to do that. So just kind of a quick little thing. Um, I, I kind of wasn't really enjoying this film at this point, to be honest, though. So I wasn't really into this. The snake was making me rise and was making like, oh, maybe there's something here. But yeah, I just kind of wasn't into the plot at this point, um, just to be a little bit negative. Um, but yeah, it, it totally makes sense, this approach of just something a little bit more quicker to the point. They've got the missiles so we can kind of get on with the actual plot now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with that, number one checks in to um, to the guy that was that, that hacked the missiles, and it's all good. And so we see Blofeld now. Um, he's got the all clear, so he's recording a message uh, on the skull. The skull is actually a camera. <laughs> everyone, there's a little lens that comes out of its mouth. Yeah, of and uh, yeah, and he's um, he's recording. Well, I don't know if he's recording or he's just transmitting it straight away, but. You can only see his his arms and, and the cat in this in this camera shot um, because he's informing NATO of uh, of what's going on because we see this big room where it's being broadcast and looks very much like a place with all these country representatives, very large room, everyone's sitting down and, and watching. And yeah, he's there to say that Spectre is... Now, he does say some stuff about we've done like the first two... 
I don't know if you wrote down any of the. I didn't write but... it down any of this initial yeah. stuff. It was so you were just rambling about Spectre. Yeah. It just wasn't interesting what he was saying. Yeah. It was like we've done the first two parts of Spectre, like and actually going through the acronym like terrorism. Um, we're acronym yeah, of it, we're yeah. all about this. And <laughs> don't make us get to revenge. <laughs> what are you on about? Yeah. No one knows what you're talking about, Blofeld. But he basically says we've stolen two of your nukes. Here's the serial codes as proof. Um, and Spectre wants. 25% of all of the country's oil purchases, or like the the, the amount that equals 25% of the oil purchases for each country. And if they don't, then yeah, then they get the R, which is revenge. And as he says that <laughs> on the screen, a big old mushroom cloud is shown. In, in case they weren't sure where this was going. <laughs> Just to reiterate. It's so, it's so camp, this. It's so zilly. Because again, you have like the Chinese representative looking really upset. <laughs> Oh, do they? oh, I missed that bit. There was just a man in a suit looking up at this and he just looks genuinely really upset. Oh, no. <laughs> and like when Blofeld's like, you've got seven days. And when like the footage triggers, like they have the shot of the cat like reacting to it. <laughs> it's like, what? Like it just looks up like, hmm, seven days. And then it's just the most stock footage of a nuclear bomb. And everyone then's like, oh, that's a nuclear bomb. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> gets you, mad about it. And if you actually hear like the, the sound of the, the crowd when that when the, the nuclear mushroom cloud is shown, it's just sort of like a, oh, no. Oh, come <laughs> on. A, oh, not the nukes. Oh, oh. Uh, oh yeah it's hilarious this bit. i loved it and i yeah. actually think seven, seven days is quite a generous amount of time i think it was only three days in the in the books maybe maybe even in the first film well Bond remember. does go to like a lot more locations he does which i'm He's assuming why it's seven days <laughs> take but yeah got, yeah take a long week bond you know maybe eight <laughs> days you know have a recovery day afterwards don't rush it <laughs> yeah you know go easy you're gonna be in the bahamas enjoy yourself um so yeah they everyone's panicking at this now obviously they all stand up they're all shouting yelling m and the foreign secretary are actually at, at the front um behind a desk he's got a little gavel m and um m <laughs> m says like uh, everyone the foreign secretary wants to address nato and then this old man sat next to him just stands up and says we are facing a nightmare the the theft of nuclear weapons and then it just sits back down it's like, yeah yeah we kind of got that we kind of know that's what just happened i think they know that too we saw the cat dude we, like the you're cat was really, upset <laughs> you're not really contributing to this situation uh but anyway he sits back down more panicking what are we going to do all the different countries uh, they start blaming the u.s because it was from the u.s airbase and asking who knows about this and it's being kept in this room of the cia and the british intelligence and someone uh, there's an american guy who says oh well then that means russia's gonna know about it by now but did you notice the american guy there's like one general looking guy that they focus on a bit um i saw him as a character but i okay. feel like i've missed something here i saw that actor and i thought you look familiar and i i imdb'd him it's bob conley from a view to a kill <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Zorin's man. <laughs> Is he the one that gets thrown out the blimp? Um. Oh, no, he gets he... killed in the mine, doesn't he, Bob? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He's right the there one. to the end. Yeah. yeah. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. I'm quite surprised they would have um, they would have hired him for the official Bond film. 
knowing that he would have been on the fake one. Maybe they would have, I don't know. Maybe they didn't know yet. But there is Maybe. a woman who was in The Spy Who Loved Me who's in this as well. Oh, is there? Oh. Uh, oh, let me check who that was. But yeah, I mean, there's quite a few women in this. But I remember just looking through a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, so the the woman, the fisherman, the fisherwoman. Oh, yeah. She was in yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, just to end off the scene in the NATO room. So yeah, they're all panicking and uh, it, it, you, you see the Foreign Secretary and M from behind and the Foreign Secretary leans over and says, it's, it's time to reactivate the double O agents to, to M. So Bond's back on the job. Yeah, and I just did not like that plot point at all. I, I mean, I've already said it, how I'm disappointed, how they don't take advantage of Bond being older and stuff. But yeah, like the whole thing was that M's like, I don't like the double O agents, which is why Bond hasn't been working. And it takes the foreign secretary to tell M to use Bond. That's mm. nonsense. That's not how this works. So that was... Like, I'm glad we got to the point where our Bond is like activated and stuff, but that's complete nonsense. That's not how this should work at all. It, yeah, it's a slap in the face to M. Yeah, like it just the character of M. Like M should know their own uh, team. Well, yeah, it's, it... it's backwards because normally it's M defends Bond to his yeah. superiors, and the yeah. foreign secretary is like, "What the bloody hell is Bond up to?" And he's like, "I trust my guy in the field. He gets results." And oh, blah 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 blah, and then he does. But this being like the foreign secretary being like, that Sean Connery's looks like he's still in pretty good shape. Can we get him in there? Get, get him doing something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it is backwards. You're right. It just it kind of makes you feel like this M character is just very, yeah, very hollow. It's just not really even there because it doesn't even, it's not even the instigator of this. So it's just a bit pathetic. No. But the rest of the scene's quite enjoyable. Again, I wasn't really having that good of a time, but... Especially now talking it through on this podcast. Oh, what, what, what a nonsense, but enjoy, enjoyable cheese scene. Absolutely. So with that, again, we get another harsh transition where M bangs the hammer and then we just kind of cut to a, a TV screen. And it kind of shows like the estimated net worth being dollars. And then it's like kind of updating itself and going up. I'm assuming that's just like the price of oil and that's how much they're going to have to pay Blofeld, mm. I think. Um, so the camera then pans to like another screen and it shows a lot of shots of number one. And we find out his name is Maximilian Largo. And there's lots of different like pictures of Largo being shown on this screen. And I think, I can't remember who's actually saying this. I think the com- a computer lady, I want to say. Um, it's just saying a lot of different facts about the guy. I can't really remember any of them. But yeah, so this is Largo. And we see that Bond is like watching these screens and Money Penny enters the room and she turns off the screen and it's like, M wants to see you, Bond. And she's all like, oh, it's panic stations upstairs. I think you're back in business, James. Welcome home. Um, yeah, so this is a very kind of naive, like cheerleader fan, <laughs> like Bond's number one fan. That's very much how she's portrayed. But yeah. this is kind of like she's in the background of a couple of scenes after this. It's just such a small part. I can't really get mad. But yeah, in the ones she's in, she's just like, you're the best. James, go get him. Yay. So it's <laughs> she's just got pom poms out. <laughs> Pretty much. Like she's very close to that. I've got a question about this, this scene very quickly. Okay. Before they head off. How does Bond know to be looking up Largo? Oh, I don't really know. See, this is where, a callback to what I said earlier, this is a stretch, 
But this is the only connection I can make is that Bond put in the flag symbol to get information and it's led to that. He could and maybe Because otherwise I felt like I missed something about hearing the name Largo or seeing it somewhere. There's, there's nothing really that I think confirms. Does Bond know about Spectre before this starts? Like, and I just don't think we know that information. Like, I just don't think that exists. Like, yeah. Bond's history with Spectre, no idea. If he did, then it kind of makes sense. Uh, but again, he's not... Yeah, there's nothing that really shows him looking up the symbol, I don't think. And No, that's... Yeah, I was just confused, that's all. I kind of assume because, like, a lot of the stuff Bond kind of knows, I feel like it's tracked back to the fact he was in the clinic... So obviously that's where you saw the symbol, but that's also where number 12 was. So maybe there's some connection there. I don't... Yeah, it's a good... I didn't think about it that much, but it's a good point. They don't really mm. explain that at all. Yeah. Um, so we cut to a huge yacht out on the ocean. And that same Spectre symbol, the one with the flags, we see that on the helipad. And this might be the last time we say it. So I'm going to say it's not a great symbol, is it? Not for like no. a, an evil organization. It's very bland and forgettable. Should have gone with the skull. Yeah, the skull would have worked, as silly as that is. Easy. Or they could have just done the octopus thing, right? That's the. Could they not have used that? Well, I don't know, because... Unless it was described in the book as being an octopus shape. Maybe that was just a film thing. Maybe, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe the film came up with that. Mm. But they clearly really wanted this spectre symbol in the film, and then they did it. It's just kind of nothing neat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the boat's in the middle and we see the camera kind of like spin and zoom around the to the walls, the symbol. It's like one continuous shot as it comes down. And then we start hearing like some helicopter sounds and we see a shadow of a helicopter. And then we kind of cut to Largo flying this helicopter and he lands and he gets out. And we see Largo like entering this like command room, this quite like somewhat high tech command room, but sort, sort of secret and he's all like, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, everyone. And they're all like, morning, morning. And he's got a big old smile on his face. And he's all like, is everything okay? And the man's like, yes, everything's good. And he says like, morning, Charles. Charles as well, like specifically as well. So, it's all very nice, actually. It looks like a very pleasant work environment, to be honest does, with you. <laughs> yeah, very positive reinforcement straight away. Uh, but never mind that. Never, blah, blah, blah. Cut back to Bond. <laughs> That's all you get of Charles. Yeah. Uh, cut back to Bond, and it's Bond sitting in front of M at M's desk, and M talks about how like the Americans are tracing the missiles, and I think they've traced one to their eastern seaboard, and then the other one has gone to the Middle East, and M's saying, "Oh, NATO is working together on this," and like his assistant, I don't think it's Tanner, but I I really want to just call him Tanner just to save a little face, um, but yeah, this other man is like. Uh, the warhead could already be in position. We don't know. But he's saying how we're worried that there's going to be some subterranean explosion. And because oil fields are in the area, I think in the Middle East, that would cause some sort of ripple effect that would massively damage the oil supply in in the like across the world. I think that's what's happening. This is another classic Bond. Like I, I don't really know the details. It just sounds very bad. Um, but they're just saying, oh, by the way, it's possible they might use the warhead to nuke oil fields. That would be bad. Got it? Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to this much. in like an hour and a half. Don't worry. We'll come back to this and be exactly right. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's handy. Um, so Bond asks about the Americans. Like, what are the Americans saying about how their bombs got stolen? And M says how, well, 
in order for the warheads to get released, the president has to approve it, and there are safeguards in place, like it has to be approved by the scan the right eye. Um, and they also kind of mention how the only they can't really figure out what happened, but somebody just kind of says how well, they did notice Captain Jack, one of the officers, did leave the comms room, but even then that's very minor. And then Bond's all like, hmm, what if Jack is involved? Then maybe he used a false eye to do it. And I'm just like, oh, do come along, Bond. Let's think of a more logical explanation, shall we? Uh, and that's that for that scene. <laughs> just, just... Yeah, just make them look like a fool. Yes, and I don't think they ever come back to that. So again, it's pure comedy. It's a pure comedic bit. It's just Bond explaining what happens and I'm saying that's nonsense. And that's the whole point of that scene, really. Because mm. um, I don't think we come back to it. Because that's like Bond's briefing scene to go and stop this. But I think that's all we get. They just cut it at a point where we don't really have enough information. <laughs> yeah, right? it's not. It's not like uh, we're sending. Do they? Do they say that we're sending you to the Bahamas or anything? Maybe like that? Or just... I didn't write that down, but you would yeah, hope so. Usually, you know, Bond would get his ticket or whatever from Money Penny or something. Nah, nah, just cut. Just uh, again, end on a really strong joke. So we then cut back to Largo. And this time he's kind of gone into this like very small room. So it's kind of like a side room, but it's like quite small and like boxed in. I think very intentionally as well. Like almost like his own private little control room with a lot of, there's a lot of papers and a lot of screen as well. And he kind of turns on some very like funky music. Like he presses something and some funky music starts playing. And he then presses a button and like part of the wall in this small room opens up. And it reveals like this dance studio, like this wood on the floor and these mirrors and stuff. And there's like a woman dancing or practicing dancing with this like dance instructor. And Largo just kind of watches through the wall for a bit. And I think this is meant to be, is it Dirty Dancing, that film? Oh, you know what I mean, like those eight, maybe it's not that film, but like in the 80s, how you had those sort of films where people were just dancing lots of dancing lots of lycra tight yeah outfits, very tight skimpy curvy. outfits yeah 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 uh yeah so they're dancing and then she like stretches her legs up and is like doing the splits and yeah it's all it's all very creepy um so we cut back to largo like largo is kind of watching this and then he kind of like turns off the music in his room but the music is still playing in their room and then suddenly the piano like there's a lot of piano notes and Largo's in the room. And I'm just like, what happened? What? <laughs> Wait a minute. That was such an awkward edit. Because I was like, Largo teleports pretty much. <laughs> he goes from being in his little room to somehow have gone all the way round to play the piano. And I think it's the music. The fact that the music doesn't cut or anything. It just continues playing. It just felt like he teleported to get to that piano. He's a quick man. Apparently, but not yeah. later on when he needs to get into that room. So. <laughs> Nonsense. Um, so the woman shouts like, hey, Max, and just excitedly runs over to him. And it's like, uh, like kiss. And they're kind of like all over each other in a way that I did not appreciate. Um, and Max kind of, or Largo kind of says, oh, I left you alone for too long, but don't worry, I brought you a gift and shows her like a pendant and there's like an inscription on it. And he says, this is the tears of Allah. Um, or Allah. I'm not too sure how he says it. And this is something that came up before, I think. I think Largo said this to Blofeld about saying, ah, oh, our evil scheme, we'll use the tears of Allah. Ah, it's going to be great. Um, and now it's coming up again. It's, it's a really annoying part of the film because it goes nowhere. 
Like, yes, it's tied to the plot, but they mention it all the bloody time. Um, but anyway, he's saying it's the Tears of Aloe and explains a little bit about it. I wasn't paying attention. wasn't very interesting. Um, and Largo kind of like starts playing the piano as this woman just starts like staring at it. And yeah, he just says it's like a legend, but there's some truth to it. And then he's just like gnawing and kissing out her ear and hair. And I'm just like, oh, stop it. Ew. This is gross. Yeah, um, there's a bit too much ear licking for my liking in this scene. As in there's yeah. some of it. Like they're <laughs> very any of it. coupley, but they're almost like teenagers. But even like more than that, where they're just like gnawing and just rubbing against each other. I'm like, yeah, stop it. This is, I don't want to see this. Um, and he says, oh, this Tears of Aloe is the most valuable thing I've assessed, except you. Um, so another kiss. And then he kind of like steps away from the piano a little bit. And she's all like, well, why are you giving it to me? And he's like, it's the, the safest place around your neck. And then she's like, well, what if I ever leave you? And he kind of like presses on the piano keys to make a really light, a loud, high pitched sound. Again, very comedic in his execution. Um, and he kind of starts walking away and he's kind of laughing and smiling. And it's like, well, if you leave, then uh, I'll cut your throat. Um, gets a bit serious and then disappears. Yeah, I did not like this scene. So I'm, I'm going to say, because again, we didn't really get to talk about the morning scene. I like Largo. <laughs> I think Largo is really charming um, mm. and him coming in and being really nice, like a, like a small time manager in like a small office company and just being friendly and to everyone. I find that really nice and charming and I end up liking Largo quite a bit, but when he's around this, this character who we'll get into later, it's like, Oh, it's just, it's just a bit too much. I just, it just creeps me out a bit much. And that probably is the point. Cause he is the villain. You're meant to be creeped out. Um, but I kind of wished he was a, uh, that like I like the friendly stuff. I don't like the stuff with well Domino. Mm. Yeah, I I really like him too. A very different interpretation of the character of Largo, which I'm all for because they they just make him as you say. Sometimes he's this really friendly looking guy and just very happy chappy, uh, and then and then he'll just uh, switch quite quickly into being a creep or threatening to cut throats. Very unstable character, um, but. That kind of makes him a bit kind of, well, just very engrossing. You don't really know what he's going to do. He And also the actor, no clue who this actor is. I, I, I don't know whether he is a famous actor or not. But um, he, he definitely was quite good at just like lots of little facial expressions and and just little ticks and stuff that the character does. Like uh, when when she says about, oh, what if I leave you? And he does this sort of like little teehee thing you know he's like oh and then and then he goes and switches and then he he says that so a lot of the stuff i really like i would agree though i think there's there is a bit of <laughs> there is just a bit too much of the yeah playground or i don't know just <sighs> we we don't need to see as much as we do to get the idea of what it is and also no. i was a little i was a little bit confused as to when we first see him enter and and the lady run up to him and she's like, oh, well, Max, I, I, you know, I've been waiting so long to see you. It, it feels like that she's in an, a happy relationship. Yes. But is that all just a front? I don't I, know. I don't know. It's not. So, yeah, I think that's, I think you've kind of hit it there where my problem isn't really with Largo. I think Largo is really good in this film. I think my problem is with her and how she's portrayed yeah. in this film. She's yeah. pretty, I mean, we'll have to get into it later once she gets a bit more fleshed out, but yeah, knowing the plot of Fundable and knowing who this is 
And then seeing her be like really, really lovey-dovey to Largo, I'm like, that doesn't feel correct. What? And mm. especially because it's more over the top than anything we've kind of really seen. Uh, yeah, it definitely made me a little bit more uncomfortable. So yeah, so really, you know, I was maybe slagging off Largo for that stuff. I don't think that's fair. I think Largo's great. I think it's kind of her. Um, but we'll find out more about why she's not great as we go. Yeah. So after that nice threat from Largo, we move on. We cut to a close-up of a fountain pen. Uh, Extreme close-up, there's just some hands twisting it and raising it up. And we see see from the back this man pointing this pen that's been twisted. There's a man in front of him at a target range, sort of uh, practicing with the targets and shooting. And it's clearly Bond, like there in the front. And yeah, this this character from from behind raises his pen and shoots it, and it just massively explodes one of the the targets on the range section, and spooks Bond, and he turns around, and um, it's Q, everyone, or or Algernon, Al, no Algernon, what's his name? <laughs> Al, it's called like Algae or something. Algae, yeah, <laughs> not that sort of algae. You get in a pond, um, yeah, but it's it's Q. It's this film's Q. And uh, he says, oh, that pen's not quite perfected yet. But um, the two walk through and, and you, you basically see Q-Lab in, in this film as they walk through and it's quite run down. It's um, like just lots of mess everywhere. It looks like it's just very deep down in the bunker looking area. And I don't know where to go with Q or... or at- <laughs> Algonon, what should I say? It's Q, isn't it? So yeah, it is Q, but the, like Bond calls him Algi, I think, the whole time. Okay, okay, well we've had Chrissy, so let's have Algi then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Algi's not very happy. Um, he's explaining to Bond that his budget's been slashed and the lab is freezing cold. It's affecting his sinuses, and if he had the chance to jump ship and and go join CIA, he would in a heartbeat because of the aircon and the money and the twenty-seven flavors of ice cream or something weird. He says, but. Yeah, it's a it's a very different dynamic between him and Bond compared to usual. He actually seems quite pleased to see Bond um, in this situation. He starts to talk about some of the things going on around him in terms of inventions. There's a, a motorbike that he's working on that he'll shop, ship out to Bond if he gets it done on time. And then he says he's got something rather tasty um, and goes in the back to grab it. And whilst he does that, Bond is uh, fiddling with some bits in the front and... He comes back out and it's a it's a laser watch that he got from a, like a defected Russian agent or something along those lines. And yeah, so he gives Bond the laser watch and he starts to talk about how, oh, it's all been so boring around here, Bond. Uh, this place is run by bureaucrats and all paperwork and you can't get anything done. That's all we signed up. Now that you're here, now that Bond is here, um, hope there's some gratuitous sex and violence, he says. <laughs> Um, which is kind of strange. And <laughs> and Bond's like, oh, yeah, I hope so too, or something along those lines. And right next to him is, yeah, this table of, of gadgets, and he picks up one of them, or what he thinks is a gadget, and says, what's this? And Algie grabs it and says, uh, "It's," uh, and he shows up, it's a sinus inhaler thing. Hey, it's not a gadget, it's just a thing you stick up your nose and, and breathe. Uh, anyway, he asks Bond, or Bond says he probably won't need that where he's going, because uh, he's heading, as we know, to the Bahamas. I think the Bahamas came up on the screen, didn't it? Of... It, it, it would have come up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it. And is that all oh, you lucky, you lucky sod or whatever he says? Because <laughs> uh, yeah, this this cue, this algae. It, it, first, it sounded I was like, is this Michael Caine? <laughs> it's got it was very, so Michael Caine. Yeah, it's really over the top Cockney um, accent. But yeah, like he's 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 a lot younger. He's a lot lot more equal to Bond's age. Um, he's got glasses. He's got his big coat on, uh, and he. He is pleased to see Bond. As I say, it's it's a completely different dynamic. It's not so much uh, Bond coming in and ruining all of his gadgets. It's it's no Q Q or Algy wants more action. He wants more uh, rule breaking. He's sick of the whole status quo at, at MI six. So I actually thought this is one of the things the film did differently that actually worked, just because it is different, but also feels like it it could be a thing. You know, it it could be Bond. Bond does stick out. He is a well known agent. So someone like Q or or this character probably would find him quite interesting and perhaps like the way he does things. Um, Yeah, I I like this whole bit. It it took me by surprise and I was a little bit like, oh, what? Like when he starts talking, it's all nice to know. I can't do accent, but when he's like proper Cockney, like proper heavy voice. So when I first heard that, I was like, oh, wow, that's all. Like it took me a little bit. But as the scene went on, again, he is just moaning but it is a very like British character, which I which I appreciate. Yeah. Very British way of kind of thinking about gets on with the job, but oh, this is a bloody oh, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, this is ridiculous. I'll go to Miami or whatever. Like it's <laughs> it's like it works kind of well. So yeah, I've I said it before when they rebooted Q in the main series. Like if you're gonna do something different, do something different. And this mm. is that. And I don't know if I would have liked it for, like, multiple films. It probably would have got a little bit old, him just moaning and whinging. But seeming how they had one film, they knew they only had one film. They knew that they couldn't do what Desmond did. This actually works way better than it kind of has any right to be. Um, so I have to agree, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, that's a, that was actually quite entertaining, the back and forth between those two I could have done without him saying gratuitous sex and violence. Like, yeah, it's very strange that he said that, but it's also just way too on the nose once again. Like, I'm glad you're here, so there can be some gratuitous sex. It's like, what are you saying, dude? Like, what do you think before you speak? Q, like, don't just say that. Like, if he just said gratuitous <laughs> violence, thumbs up. But the fact that he was excited that the idea that Bond's gonna sleep with a load of women. Like what? What do you get out of that? Like Yeah, that that leads to some worrying questions. <laughs> it's like what cameras are on his gadgets? I don't know. What's yeah, the going idea on. that he knows about it and wants that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't need that. But but everything else was surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think, is that do we ever see him again? I don't think so, no. They do refer do, do to him, but it's just this quick scene here, yeah. Oh, uh, no cue or algae out on the field. Like in Thunderball. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, isn't yeah. it? He actually Should gets out, out there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so after that, uh, we are in the Bahamas and Bond is walking alongside the harbour area, very hustling and bustling, lots of things going on, lots of boats uh, docked and, and busyness. And uh, he, as he's walking along, he spots a, a sexy lady and almost gets whacked by her fishing rod that she's getting out of her car and that kind of leads them to introduce themselves to one another and uh i actually can't remember the exact dialogue but it basically ends up just being a big joke about 
she wants to catch someone and then well catch something and it's she says oh six foot dark haired man or I don't know something along those lines yeah this does come back so she's basically just kind of implying I want to catch a man that looks exactly like Bond yes and that's kind of the little joke between them so oh why bother going to see ha 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 which comes back everyone don't worry oh it it does don't you worry about that being very flirty together and um as uh, as Bond starts to help her load up her boat, there's a, a voice uh, shouting from from the crowd nearby, shouting "Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond!" And this man pops through the crowd, and it's Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, Mr. It Bean, is. everyone. It's literally Mr. Okay, it's Rowan Atkinson uh, yeah. in a very early role. He's looking very young. But yeah, it's Rowan Atkinson who is he he runs up to Bond and. Um, you can immediately tell, especially if you know Rowan Atkinson and the characters, is a very bumbling character, and he introduces himself as as a, an embassy British embassy worker here in in Nassau, and his name is Nigel Smallforset, and uh, yeah, how he was trying to be uh, careful, and Bond's called, you know Bond calls him out for shouting his name across the harbour, and he's like, oh, I'm so stupid, oh, silly me. Um, it's you know I'm new or something. It's my first day, sort of vibes from it. So yeah, with that, that's kind of uh, the lady's not as interested anymore. So um, she just says, "I'll catch you later." <laughs> hey. Um, oh yeah, that is a joke. I didn't. Yeah. Uh. And Bond and Nigel uh, walk off together, and um, yeah, Bond starts to ask about Largo because that's that's what this embassy guy has been tasked to do to find out some information and he starts to tell bond he's a very wealthy man and um, he's been spotted in some reefs doing archaeology work and stuff like that he's foreign emphasis on the foreign but charming a strange line but uh yeah he donates to charities and everything he's and bond's like oh, he sounds like he's he's good to his mother i don't i don't know his mother anyway um this nigel character then he starts to like lay into Bond a bit. He's like, oh, I don't want any trouble from you, jeopardizing the tourist trade. I'm like, what? It's, what is he talking about? Like, there's funny <laughs> nuke. There's nukes about to go off. He's telling Bond off about tourism. Uh, but yeah, you can tell that Bond just is not taking this character very seriously. He's very much a comedic character. And this little scene ends with um, Bond asking Nigel to go and find out where Largo's boat currently is. And as he leaves. Uh, Bond catches him and says, "You know, remember to take full advantage of natural cover. And as they've been walking, they've been walking past these columns and he goes and runs off and he starts to shuffle behind and starts to look around and, yeah, just a, just a big old joke. And Bond walks off. Mm, yeah, it's an interesting one because initially when I saw Rowan Atkinson, I was like, oh, Rowan Atkinson, cool. And to me, that tied into, like, this being a little bit more of a bigger production but yeah, just looking it up, as you say, obviously he looks young, but I somewhat assumed at least Black Adder was going. But no, Black Adder was the same year as this film. So I was in the first season. Yeah, from ah, what I'm okay. seeing. So he was doing some stuff, but like Mr. Bean was the 90s and Black Adder just started the same year this year came out. So he was not known at all. He was just mm. broadcast to be this like comedic character, but not like a known figure. Um, and I found, find that really interesting because I thought it would be the other way around. So that's kind of cool, really. And I also kind of... So actually, I ended up quite liking Nigel 
not loving Nigel, but it's so on the nose about what it's doing with yeah. the comedy, which I complained about for other stuff. But again, like this is so clearly a comedic character. This film is so clearly just being silly and being about comedy. Having Rowan Atkinson show up and do his bumbling act is kind of charming in a weird way. Um, but he's like almost like invented a character, but like he's pulling a very specific face and doing very specific kind of movement and stuff. But it's not like Mr. Bean. Like, it's kind of different to that. I was like, that's Mm. really interesting. Like, I'm sure there's a TV show or something he's been in that's similar to this. But it's almost like he did, like, he's super committed to this because he doesn't look like Rowan Atkinson. He's pulling a face and doing facial stuff that's different. I'm like, good for you, man. Like, it's not necessarily an amazing character, but you could really see, like, the effort in there. And that's kind of made it, again, a little bit more charming as well. Oh yeah, he definitely definitely gave it his all, and I think the way that you can really tell that is because, well, obviously in hindsight we know Rowan Atkinson, very successful, physical, comedic actor, but more than that is that if anyone had tried to do this sort of character and and not been as good at doing that, it would have really bombed. Like, to, as you say, this is so on the nose, silly, but it's sort of saved by the way that he's portraying the character. If someone didn't really have the right, I don't know, confidence or whatever you want to call it to do that, it would have been just, oh, I can imagine the cringe. So <laughs> I think we're very lucky that it was Ron Atkinson and not someone else. Yeah, like, yeah, we. I think, I can't think of any examples, but I, I'm, I know we've seen bad comedy characters like mm. this. And I'm not going to say J.W. Pepper, that's a very different thing. <laughs> hey now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, no, no, you're right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was also very bizarre to see Sean Connery and Rowan Atkinson in a scene doing a bit of comedy. Yeah. I was like, that's, as a British person, that's kind of extremely interesting to see. Um, and Nigel's not a big part of this film as well. So just seeing these interactions actually kind of worked, surprisingly. On paper, it sounds pretty terrible. But actually, it's all right. It's actually quite quite nice. Yeah, I'd agree. So after his little walk and talk with Nigel and I actually tried to work out, is Nigel Small Fawcett, is it just a funny sounding name or is it actually a pun or anything? Obviously, I like think it's just the name. But, okay. Fair yeah, like a funny sounding wonder. name. I think that's all it is. Yeah. Uh, Bond is um, at a bar. He's at like a sort of harbour bar now. And he, um, he's he got a picture of the the boat, of Largo's boat, the yacht. Have we said what it's called yet? It's Or has it even been named yet? In, in I think film? it has. I think Nigel named it as the, the flying saucer. The flying saucer, yeah. So he's um, he's showing that to the the bartender, and the bartender said it it sailed sailed out this morning. Dear Bond's at the bar. He grabs his he gets his his little martini, and he's looking out along the uh, out to the water, and he sees uh, a woman water skiing, doing some very you know acrobatic movements and gestures and stretches and whatever as she's doing it as well. And eventually, she comes very very close, and then kind of swings round on the jet ski and splashes Bond. A little bit, and uh, he kind of gets caught off. But actually, I think that's how we then spot her because he gets splashed by her. And uh, eventually, she, she, there's a ramp that goes straight from the sea into the bar. So she lets go of the water ski thing and then just slides up onto onto the bar, and in the process, sort of runs into Bond, and she sort of composes herself. Says, "Oh, sorry, I made you all wet." And Bond replies, "Yes, but my martini's still dry." Which is uh, such, yeah, yeah, yeah. such a cheesy line, but that one did make me smirk at least. Um, 
And anyway, we see who the woman is because it wasn't quite clear when you were seeing the close-ups of her water, uh, water skiing. And it's number 12. It's number 12. And she introduces herself as uh, Fatima Blush is her name. And um, she asks, um, obviously Bond introduces him, himself and and she asks why he's here and Bond says he's fishing. To which she replies, oh, you know, I know all the best waters. Um, you know, I could show you. And I can't actually remember what else is said in this scene because the only other thing I wrote down is that when it switches to a close-up of her and Bond, the camera goes very blurry. I don't know whether you spotted this. It, it looks <laughs> terrible. Like, Why really does it do that? It's not just per blur, though. It's just something's really wrong with the way these shots are just filmed. Yeah. Like, it's, it looks horrendous. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It almost looks like a sort of romantic... It's like a cliche romantic bit. You expect the, the music to start playing. but um, I do appreciate, like... So when Bond gets sprayed, it looks. It reminded me of The World Is Not Enough when Bond does that to those two guys clamping the car. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. this scene with the shots reminded me of Die Another Day with the mojitos. <laughs> Where <laughs> you have the really awkward, like, forward-facing camera shots. I was like, oh, this yeah. is kind of nice. This is... Making me think back on the Piers Brosnan era. Oh, yeah. Shame it was to die another day. I but... mean, yeah, they're both <laughs> terrible scenes. So it's kind of like, remember that it's awful scene telling. die another day? Oh, wow. Here's the origins of that. The original <laughs> awful front-facing shots and awkward chemistry. Um, no before... bird dialogue. <laughs> no, no binoculars or birds. Um, before I move on, is there anything else in that scene before they go onto the boat that I missed. I really it, it just moves so quick. Like that's what it really is. Like he just she just throws herself at Bond. Yeah. And then literally. they just talk a bit and Bond's like, I'm all yours. So Pretty right? much. I, I don't really understand why Bond agrees to this. I'm assuming it is just cocky Bond going along with stuff. But I don't know if Bond knows who she is, but we know she knows who Bond is. Because exactly. of what happened. But I don't know what Bond knows, which makes it a bit off. But I'm assuming it's just cocky Bond just going along with stuff. Very much so. And it's kind of linking back to what we were saying earlier about the seven days rather than the three days. So yeah, Bond, Bond, this isn't a lead for Bond. Well, I don't think it is. I don't think he knows it is. He's just like, yeah, all right, I'll go, for a, I'll go for a dive with this attractive lady. Why not? I've got all the time in the world. Yeah. Um, mm, well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we then cut to a ship out on sea. And we see kind of like Bond uh, at the front of it and uh, Fatima kind of like radios him to come down. The captain points to the stairs to show him that and then Bond goes down. And again, more very quick editing with this one where it's just Bond says, I'm yours at the bar. Smash cut to Bond being called down on the radio. Um, So Bond gets a wetsuit and Bond's like saying to Fatima, saying you're well equipped. And then he's like taking off his shirt and she's all like, Oh, and so are you. And <laughs> Bond's like, what are we going down for? And she's like, sports and a little fun. And Bond then takes off his trousers. You don't see below the waist here on Sean, which Thank is God. probably in his contract. <laughs> um, but he's all like, you appear tense. And she's all like, oh, you do that to me, James. And Bond's like, well, when you're going down, one should always be relaxed. I think at this point, maybe he takes off his underwear as well. I don't, I can't remember. That does happen. Um, and it kind of, yeah, Bond then asks, how far is it to the reef? And she's all like, far enough. 
while start like then she's like removing her like bathing suit a little bit and she's all like we've got time to kill and they start kissing and a very sexy on the nose saxophone kicks in and then we like fade to shots of the boat and then we fade back to them kind of kissing on the floor naked and then we fade to fish in the water and then we fade back to like the door frame of the room they're in and like Fatima is like leaning back poking her head and back out of the door frame with the sexy saxophone playing at the same time um and then we kind of fade away again and fade back and we see them kissing on the floor and then the boat tilts massively they slide off screen and then that fades to them falling into the water with all their scuba gear on as an edit and that this is just the most confusing Bond sex scene I've ever seen in my life. Like, what the hell were they thinking with any of this? I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you, Tom. I don't know. I, I honestly thought that it was a bit of a joke at first. It really was very, being presented that way. It felt yeah, like not, not a very nice joke to be honest. But I thought when, when he says um, you're well equipped, and then she goes, "So are you?" I thought that's like, come on now. I mean, yeah. the Bonds have never been like. You know, huge six-pack muscly men, but Sean is a 50-odd-year-old man with not the best <laughs> body. Like, that is that is that meant to be funny that she's saying that? But it wasn't. Like, this is played purely like, no, she she wants to have sex with this man. Okay, then. So off they go. So, yeah, this is when it starts about how, like, Bond, as or Sean Connery playing Bond is so out of place in this role and how they just should have had some script changes to make this fit a bit better. Now, this one I'll let go because she is a Spectre agent who knows who Bond is. So it makes sense to me that she would kind of be pretending a little bit just to get mm. Bond to go along with this. Yeah, that's fair. later in the film, it's confirmed that's probably not the case because other women are just like, oh, 52-year-old Sean Connery. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> just walking in the room. Uh, but yeah, it, it just comes off a little bit odd. But again, I allowed it because she was yeah probably part of the trick. And the original Thunderball had a little bit of that as well. So the, I'm assuming it's just kind of doing that again. But the fact that it's shot so weirdly with these fades and her leaning by the door, it's like, I I don't think it's meant to be sexy, but I, I don't know if you're really meant to laugh at it. I, it. It was bad no matter what it was. I don't know, but it's... Just I so think, awkward. I think the, um, I think it was meant to be sexy to an extent, but then also when they had the sexy sax music, it turned into the sexy scary sax music because then it sort of <laughs> had these notes in it. Yeah, and yeah, because you know, as the audience, you know who she is. So it's just, and that's one thing we haven't really discussed very much for good reason is that most of the music so far has been awful. Yeah, um, and this is just another example of it. Just really, it just it feels like a joke. Um, and I'm glad this scene like there's a reason why they don't really do this sort of stuff in regular Bond films they don't really show as much as they do here yeah fair enough they might have Bond and the woman on the bed and in some of the newer films maybe there's a bit more um, like more recently with Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig but with these old ones with with Sean and, and Roger it was always a bit more I don't want to say classy but you never really saw that much apart from just a bit of tussling in a bed and it would cut away you don't see the Bond girl like leaning back mid at going at it it's just you don't need that move on move on no and that's why i felt 
like a comedy bit as well. Like if you wanted to be sexy, why have her like poking out of the door like that, leaning back? It's maybe at the time it was, but I can't imagine that's the case at all. Um, but yeah, very awkward and strange. So yeah, so again, and that edit of them sliding, I don't know what that was. That just seems <laughs> terrible. Like, yeah. what was it? Like, did the boat actually tilt or didn't it? I'm assuming it didn't actually tilt, but then it makes it look even weirder, especially because they were still kissing naked while they tilted. Like, it just, oh, really strange. Just so yeah. strange. Um, so, yeah, so now they're underwater in their scuba gear because they got slid off, sort of. And we see some shots of, like, fish on the seabed and they kind of stop swimming. And, um, yeah, Fatima then just... Put something on Bond's oxygen tank. A little, like, circle device thing that attaches to the bag, has a light on it, and, yeah, there's a little bit of a beeping sound as well, I think. So it puts that on there. So they then, like, approach a shipwreck. Um, oh, and also I think we see the captain on the boat see some sort of beeping sound associated to that. Um, so knows there's something going on, or that's been activated. Um, so they swim to a shipwreck and swim around it, and as they're taking a look, Bond pokes his head inside it. She then swims away and then gives like a salute at him while looking at him and then swims off. And at this point, the captain of the ship turns something on and we see a shark nearby, which has some sort of device on its fin, then just swims straight towards Bond. So last second, Bond kind of notices it and starts swimming away. But the shark just starts chasing Bond. And this beeping sound is playing the whole bloody time throughout all of this. It's really, mm. truly awful. Um, <laughs> so Bond like swims in a cave to try and get away. He then like goes back into the ship, but he hits a dead end. And there's like a gas canister there. I don't know of what, but he like knocks the top of it. And like, because the shark follows him in. And he like sprays it at the shark and it like foams up the water and the shark just retreats backwards. Like, oh, bloody hell, that's a bit much. And goes back and then Bond like swims out of the ship, but the shark just catches up again. So he goes back into the ship and the shark follows him again. And then he's like in this room. So he's like, right, I'm going to lock out the shark. He goes to shut the door and he just like shuts it in the shark's face. (laughs) he's trying to barge through yeah (laughs) but the shark keeps pushing back so bond is like pushing this door while the shark is just like not even like going side to side just like bumping into it but bond eventually does shut it and lock it as the shark gets pushed back by the door and he sees outside through like the windows of the ship where that is in and there's a load of sharks waiting for him so a shark then just like bursts through a vent or something into the room and just goes past Bond entirely. So Bond like swims where he came from and that shark that burst in then just smashes into the glass for some reason of the ship. Um, So Bond quickly swims out of the ship, goes on top of it and kind of gets out a knife and then a shark kind of swims towards him. So he cuts a net nearby and that traps the shark. And at this point he sees the device on the shark's fin So he kind of checks his own oxygen tank, finds that device, um, and I think, yeah, takes it off. But as he's doing that, a shark just, like, bumps him in the shoulder, which knocks out his oxygen breather thing around in his mouth, and I'm assuming breaks it, because he never puts it back in. 
So Bond then just throws the device that was causing the beeping into the ship. The shark follows. And he's then just sucking the top off the oxygen tank instead of just putting the thing back in because I'm assuming he broke it, but I don't know. Um, And then Bond sees a hook go past and then we cut to the woman from before when Rowan Atkinson showed up fishing and she gets a bite and she reels it in and it's Bond. And she's all like, it's you. And then he's like, well, you did say you'll catch me later. Then everyone claps and applauds um, and everyone's laughing. You know, you got the, the backing track and then the Seinfeld bass starts playing as well i mean you're not that far off for later on to be fair oh my god like i can't really say i hated this scene because it's so so silly but the sharks are just like so fake like they just don't move like sharks at all and this whole scene is so kind of tedious with bond just swimming and sharks just following and just all these really silly nonsense things happening again i can't say i dislike it it's just too stupid to hate but I think it's probably all also too stupid for me to enjoy. I think that's a very fair assessment. I The problem I have is unless... I'm trying to think back to... I mean, sharks are a common occurrence in Bond films, but usually they're, they're, they're filmed a little bit more, I don't know, either just subtly or, or you, know, you see the blood of something and then it'll move on. Um, whereas in this, there's just a lot of sharks, you know. One after the other, big group of them, right in your face, bashing down the door. And I, I think, yeah, it doesn't help that they they move in very um, unnatural ways. I thought some of the shots actually looked all right, though. Sometimes I couldn't tell, to be fair with you. Sometimes I couldn't tell if it was a real shark or not. That's the thing. I think the models they made for the fake ones are really, really good. And I think yeah. what let it down is just the movement, because they just like, it's like someone's just holding it and just like poking with it like they don't swim side to side they don't try to bite it's just a model that someone is just like shaking in the water but i think the models themselves are actually really really good like if you took a picture of that i think Mm. you would just be that's a shark because the details are really really good on the models themselves yeah yeah Uh, but the problem i have is that i think when sharks are used like that so openly i don't find them very scary for starters maybe it's just something i just don't i don't really find sharks scary anyway not a big fan of jaws or anything sorry um but also, it's like they needed, I don't know, did they really need the the radio mind-controlled sharks? I can, you'd think me of all people would appreciate that because it is just so ludicrous. But sharks, sharks should be scary in their own right because they're you know, predators. They're going to chase after Bond. The fact that they were just brain-controlled it makes them less scary to me for some reason. I don't know. Um, it, overall, it was just a very... Yeah, just a bit of a mess. Not not awful, but but I, I think the sharks were used better. I know we shouldn't keep comparing to Thunderball, but I think they were better in Thunderball because they were just sharks and they killed people and you saw a bit of blood. Yeah, they had a real presence in Thunderball where all that really happened with Bond was they swam past him in Thunderball. But that was yeah. enough due to the way yeah. they were shot and betrayed and the fact that you they killed somebody earlier that establishes them as a threat and just... Being in the pool with them is enough. This is just more like Scooby-Doo stuff of Bond just going out and, oh no, there's another one over here and swimming there. And it also looks really silly the way he swims because Bond is swimming really, really quickly and he's like out swimming the sharks. But of course, again, it's Sean Connery being older. It doesn't really match. 
Um, but even then, it just he swims ridiculously fast and he's out swimming these sharks. It's just he hits dead end and that's when the shark's like, hello. And then the shark doesn't <laughs> even try to bite him. It just nudges. And sometimes, again, that shark just goes past him and smashes a window. It's like, what's happening? Like, why Why is any of that happening? But yeah, I agree. They they just have no real presence of threat. And maybe if you got, if you like only had one shark and then got rid of the control thing, just had Bond bleeds or something. Like, that's all you probably needed. Mm, then had the shark go yes. over. But yeah, there's no like... There's no cat and mouse here. It's just a chase scene like Scooby-Doo, which is probably not the way you want to portray a shark, this kind of underwater predator. Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part one of this bonus episode of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Joe next time where Bond takes on Largo at a video game. He writes Fatima an interesting love note, jumps off a wall on a horse, all leading to the final underwater showdown with Largo. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two.